0: Copyright 2023, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly.
2: Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback.
3: Away we go.
4: Initialize
5: sequence.
3: Welcome to The Baldcast.
4: A production of John Konzano's Baldface Truth.
2: Well, I found out today that the PAC-4 conference, the PAC-whatever Can we call it the Pac-Whatever until we know how many teams are in it? The Pac-4, or the Pac-Whatever, has made its first hire. Oliver Luck, former West Virginia football player, athletic director, NCAA executive, NFL quarterback, consultant, has been hired by the four remaining schools in the Pac-12 conference to help them find their way. Maybe together. He's been retained by all four to see what's there Stanford, Cal, Oregon State, Washington State. Oliver Luck, I've been told, is usually the smartest guy in the room. Rhodes Scholar, seasoned veteran of these kinds of things. He's consulted with a variety of universities and conferences. He even served as a consultant with the Big 12 Conference recently when it was considering its realignment and expansion plans, it looks like Oliver Luck's in the room. He's entered the chat, so to speak. What does he need to know? You're a Pac-12 fan. What does Oliver Luck need to know as he starts to try to put the Pac-12 back together again? Who do you add? Who's part of this conversation? I would offer that one of the things that's interesting about the conversation of rebuilding anything is that you need to have materials to rebuild. My good friends at Milwaukee Lumber, your friends, you know, the wall, they, they put together outdoor concrete construction projects, just using a metaphor here. Uh, they know that ma- the materials often will dictate, uh, you know, the, the strength and the appearance of what you put together. So what is the Pack 4 dealing with? You like how I slipped in the sponsors? What is the Pack 4 dealing with? They're dealing with Stanford. Great academic institution, a little bit on its high horse when it comes to kind of how it views the rest of college athletics. Had some really good football success for a period, but it's been like a decade of deterioration and erosion as college athletics has moved towards this model of name image likeness and the transfer portal. Stanford just hasn't been able to keep pace. What would you tell Oliver Luck about Stanford? And by the way, three of his kids attended Stanford. He knows Stanford well. It's probably why he's in the room. Cares about Stanford. He has four children. Three went to Stanford. I know you're going to ask me where the other one went. Yale. Okay. Not too bad. So he's an academic guy. He's a Rhodes Scholar himself. And he is a person that's been in and around college athletics. And I thought for a long time that Oliver Luck could end up as the commissioner of college football if they ever appointed a commissioner. He just got that vantage point in that landscape. I'm told he's in the room. I talked to him yesterday on the phone. He would not give me a comment. He would not confirm anything. But uh, I do have confirmation from multiple Pac-4 schools that Oliver Luck has been retained, and his job is to go to work for all four schools on behalf of the four. Now, Stanford still exploring possible inclusion in the ACC. I think that's out there. Uh, The Big Ten Conference uh, says for now it's not going to expand, but I think Stanford would probably ideally... Love, along with Cal, to be in the Big Ten. But it looks to me like, uh, you know, you've got Stanford in the room. Again, we're talking about the materials. you got Cal in the room. Again, academic tent pole. If you're talking about a conference that wants to be built on culture and academics, Stanford and Cal are not a bad place to start. You add in agricultural-slash-land-grant universities like Oregon State and Washington State, Pac-12 members, It gives you kind of a uh, Pacific Northwest pod and a Bay Area pod. And if we're going in twos here, the goal is to get to eight. The NCAA says eight is the minimum number of schools that you can have to be considered a conference. So if the Pac-12 is trying to keep its automatic bids, its NCAA tournament status, all of that, you got to get to eight and you have a two-year grace period to get there. So it's not like you have to add imminently which is interesting to me because now we're talking about the possibility of buyouts and adding san diego state or smu would you add those two schools would you add someone else but again let's talk about what he needs to know what does oliver luck need to know as he comes in the room 503-417-7575 let's advise the consultant for crying out loud Uh, i wrote today at john about oliver luck that he's in the room, I think the conference has a better shot, even though it's a long shot of fashioning itself into something else. But I am becoming more and more hopeful that the Pac-4 conference can be a thing. And I'll tell you why. The conference itself, it's got NCAA tournament units that are due the conference. Now, the conference get those gets those units. UCLA, Arizona, Oregon earned most of those units, Oregon State, making its run to the Elite Eight a couple of few years ago, earned those units. But the units stay with the conference. They don't leave when UCLA goes to the Big Ten. They don't leave when Arizona goes to the Big 12. The Pac-12 will still receive those units. I was totaling up the units. I think it's somewhere between an average of fifty to $70 million a year that the Pac-12 conference is due in NCAA tournament units. That's a significant amount of money, particularly when you say, hey, there's only four members that would have to split that pot, at least for the next two years, and you could conceivably borrow against that and look to add teams like San Diego State or SMU, or you could dangle that as an incentive. Hey, look, leave your conference where you might not be getting as much and come to ours where you're getting more. But it becomes clearer to me that there are some reasons why to hang on to the Pac-12 or the Pac-4, whatever that brand is or whatever that entity is, and try to rebuild it from within instead of just scattering into the wind for the four remaining schools. Oliver Luck on the scene. I like it. I think it's interesting. We'll talk all about it. Plus, I think the governor in the state of Oregon is overdue, overdue to come out and make some kind of statement. I don't know if the governor needs necessarily to come out and say, you know, I'm uh, unhappy that Oregon chose to go to the Big Ten, or I'm thrilled that Oregon chose to go to the Big Ten, or I feel bad for Oregon State left behind, or whatever governors and politicians usually say. But I do think the governor needs to come out and maybe advocate on behalf of the rivalry itself. Think about the Civil War rivalry and the history and the people that are impacted by the fact that Oregon and Oregon State and the fact that they may not uh, have a rivalry game moving forward. uh, You know, there's a financial impact There is a cultural impact to the rivalry, and I think if the governor wants to take a stance on this, I'm okay with it. I have a stance on it. I think this game should be continued to play. I think it should be played in both stadiums as a home-and-home series every year. I think Oregon State would love to have the Ducks on their home non-conference schedule every year. Help them sell season tickets It would be a benefit to Oregon State. I think from Oregon's standpoint, they'd love to have it as well. It's a non-conference game that's very close in proximity. You don't have to get on a plane to go play it. What do you say about that? Do you think this series should continue? Home and home, both stadiums. If the Ducks come out and say, we'll play the series but only at Otson Stadium because that's where we play our non-conference games, I'm not sure Oregon State should go for that. It's got to be home and home. It's got to be fair. It's got to be mutually beneficial. The Ducks made a decision that was in their best interest leaving for the Big Ten Conference, clearly. Now I think it's time for both schools to do what's in their best interest and play this as a home-and-home series. I want your phone calls on that front as well at 503-417-7575. What does this conference need to know, and should the rivalry game be played moving forward in your eyes? Let's go to the phone lines. Cable guy Chris, long time no hear on this guy. What's up, man?
1: Man, I just wanted to touch base on this and say hello, and I miss you, my friend, and finally got a chance to be able to free to call in. So real quick and simple, I want them to know about the non-baseball schools. Keep the Pac-4. You merge a little bit with, steal some from the Mountain West, but you also include the West Coast Conference. Get the baseball, basketball schools, Gonzaga, St. Mary's, Pepperdine. Bring them in, make a new Pac-12 or whatever number they put at the end of it, there you're getting the other sports involved as well, which will draw revenue tournament. I mean, you bring Gonzaga in right alone. You're getting additional NCAA looks at you right there because of it. Um, I think that's the best way to move forward and as far as the what used to be known as the civil war. Keep it,
5: and I like the home and home idea also.
2: Yeah, I think you've got to play it. If you know, for look, if we're just talking about what's beneficial to people uh, in the state of Oregon, um, you know, uh, I think you have to advocate for wanting to play this game. I get, like, Washington State fans are upset at Washington. Oregon State fans are upset at Oregon. I understand the bad feelings. I understand why people would say, hey, don't want to make it easy on them. But I think if if there's a benefit, again, it takes no brains at all to do something that's only in your best interest. If there's a benefit to both parties, why not continue that? Why not continue the rivalry? Steven, what say you on that topic?
6: Yeah, I mean, if I'm Oregon State, I have to have some games at Reeser Stadium. If it's not, if it's just at Autzen, I'm saying no for sure. Because what's the benefit of it for Oregon State to play just at no. Autzen Stadium? There is none. If you want to keep the rivalry intact, keep it intact the way it was and have them play it both home and home. Now, if you're the Ducks, I would understand why you would only want to play at Autzen Stadium. You're in the Big Ten now. Oregon State's not in the Power Conference What is the what is the goal of Oregon? Like, what's the what's the positives of Oregon playing Oregon State and winning? There is none. Like, you're expected to win that game if you're in the Big Ten and Oregon State's in the Mountain West. The only thing that can come about it is a negative is if you lose to Oregon State, and everyone will you know say that's a bad loss. You'll never get credit for a big win. So I think if you're you Oregon State, you got to get it both places. But if you're Oregon. I don't know, man. I, I feel like you may be able to swing your power money around and say, you know what, we're only going to play at Austin Stadium, and if that's the case, I think if you're Oregon State, you've got to deny that. Yeah,
2: I think you have the ability to, uh, to leverage this a little bit if you're Oregon State in saying that, look, Oregon can get on a plane, and it can, or, you know, it can spend $250,000 uh, going out, uh, you know, trying to travel and play a game on the road with all the expenses that come with going to play a road game. Uh, and play a non-conference game on the road. Or it can uh, buy an opponent. It can pay Portland State 565000 or or worse. It, it can go out of the market and play UC Davis $700,000 to come to Autzen Stadium and play the game. Or it can say, look, we'll play you home and home. Nobody pays anything out of pocket. Nobody. We all eat our own expenses. And it's a win over a two and four and six and eight-year cycle for both programs because it's a huge game it's a huge revenue generator every year when that Oregon or Oregon State schedule comes out and the Ducks or the Beavers whoever has the Civil War football game it's a huge asset that your home schedule includes that game and so I do think there's some financial motivation from Rob Mullins and from Scott Barnes and whoever the athletic directors are moving forward to play it as a home-and-home series but I think if I'm Morgan, I'd probably start off seeing if I can get away with playing it as a neutral site game or I can get away with playing it as um, a, uh, you know, come, come to my place. Um, if it was a neutral site game, we just don't have the stadium in, in the state of Oregon. Like, you know, the Huskies and the Cougars can go play that at, you know, the Seahawks home football stadium. You can't do that in Oregon because we don't have that venue. 503 417 is the number. Casey's in Beaverton. Casey, welcome to the conversation.
1: Hi, thank you, John. Hey, I would just have to say, as as a diehard Beaver fan, father basketball player at Oregon State, um, I would say absolutely no way. I hate to see the Civil War uh, and all the rivalries come to an end, but the Ducks have made their decision. It's 100% based on money. I would have to be thoroughly convinced that there's Significant advantage uh, to the Beavers to try and get some money out of an ongoing uh, rivalry game. I I sincerely doubt it. If you put all the numbers on paper, I'll bet it doesn't pencil out. Cut it off, cut the cancer out, and forget it.
6: Yeah. I, look, uh, Stephen, you agree with the caller? <laughs> I don't know. I I feel like we're going to lose something if we don't get this. If we don't get the Civil War game, like I I don't know. I just it's tough to say, John. Like if I'm Oregon. I just don't see the benefit necessarily of playing Oregon State unless you really want to help fund them and pay them to play, right? Like, there's no benefit of beating Oregon State. And then if you're Oregon State, like, you want to play Oregon, but at the same time, you don't want to be the little brother and just give in to everything Oregon says. They screwed you out of the Pac-12. They went along, and they made the decision that they want to join the Big Ten and left you in limbo. So, I think both schools like have to fight for what they want but if i'm oregon i don't understand, i don't know what they're actually what they need out of the situation with oregon state like the relationship seems so one way to me that oregon state needs oregon way more than oregon needs oregon state
2: and it's interesting something i've been thinking a lot about in the last uh, 72 hours or so is you know there's a board of trustees at oregon state there's a board of trustees at oregon it didn't always used to be that way they used to have a centralized board that uh, oversaw both Oregon, Oregon State, Portland State, the univers, the public universities in the state were sort of underneath the uh, the uh, advisement of that of the that board of trustees that was the umbrella organization. Several years ago, that splintered away. Oregon, I think, was really happy about that when it happened because it allowed Oregon to make decisions that really impacted its own campus. And I guess it was cumbersome to have some of the decisions that were being made. Uh, in Salem, by a board of trustees that was a you know a state entity that uh, uh you know in charge of the education public education system, a centralized entity. Um, sometimes it was hard for that entity to make decisions that affected Portland State, you know Oregon State, Oregon, because there are three different things in a lot of different ways. But let's go back to last week and last Thursday night in particular. Uh, you know, uh, eight days ago, on that Thursday night, the Arizona Board of Regents met. And, you know, Arizona and Arizona State went into that meeting and were told, we want you to stay together. Whatever the decision is, we want it to be together. We do not want to split Arizona and Arizona State. And I have had a lot of people ask me, hey, how did Oregon do that and split away from Oregon State when Arizona could not do it? And, and look at the UC regent system with UCLA play, paying Cal the Calimony tax for leaving for the Big Ten Conference. How did that happen? Well, the UC system is one system. The Arizona Board of Regents, it's one system. In the state of Oregon, you have a board of trustees at Oregon and then a board of trustees at Oregon State. And, uh, you know, it really did, I think, result this last week in an interesting question as we sort of dissect, you know, why one university went one way and one university went another. And I kind of wonder if you had a centralized board, if either Oregon State would be with Oregon in the Big Ten Conference, or if Oregon and Washington and the whole PAC 12 conference would still be together because that board would not have allowed the Ducks to leave without Oregon State. I mean, I think it's a little bit interesting to kind of unpack that and, and think about it. And I know, look, I was heavy handed and I was, I went after the Board of Trustees at the University of Oregon a couple days ago on the show because I didn't like that meeting. I don't like that meeting where they voted to approve. Uh, you know, allow Oregon to leave, and, you know, nobody advocated on behalf of the non-revenue-generating athletes, and nobody raised a question, and nobody asked, hey, is the travel demand going to be too much? And and I get it. Like, you know, I understand how those meetings work. You kind of go in knowing how everyone's going to vote. They have a bunch of discussion in private, in private session before, and in days and weeks before, so that everybody kind of knows where they are. And I'm sure, I hope... I wish, I hope, that they had some of those questions in that discussion in private session. But I also would have liked to see some of that stuff go public. Like, I still would have liked to see somebody on the board of trustees at the University of Oregon raise a hand while they knew everybody was watching and say, hey, is this good for our softball program? Is this going to affect Kelly Graves and the women's basketball program? Hey, are we doing the right thing? And have a little bit of a discussion. You know, as they were playing, you know, as they were on hole number seven at the Eugene Country Club, you know, a little bit of discussion on the way out the door. Let's go to Paul, who's in Salem, Oregon. Paul, welcome.
5: Hey, John. I apologize if this comes across as offensive or insulting. It's not meant to be. Probably more than half of your audience will be insulted by it. Um, But I'm going to make an analogy. Um, Let's say the Ducks and the Beavers are like Milwaukee. Nice blue collar town close to Portland, but you're not Lake Oswego. It's a little bit different real estate there. On the lottery, in my analogy, and they're the, neighbor- they're the Milwaukee house that now has jet skis and a Ferrari in the driveway, loud music, parties, kind of showing their wealth, and that's not really the neighborhood where you're from. You're trying to be Lake Oswego when they're more of a Milwaukee neighborhood, and um, it's kind of grating. You know, I I feel Phil Knight created this problem 25 years ago with this infusion of ridiculous amounts of money and beautiful locker rooms, state-of-the-art, and just built up this arm. All these colleges have got to try to keep up. The NIL has made it even worse. Uh, Collegiate sports has clearly become minor league sports. And the only thing I've really gotten out of this is that football is the most important thing in America. I mean, that's what drives collegiate economy, because um, despite it possibly being bad for you with traumatic brain injuries and devastating physical ailments, possible paralysis, people still want to pay their money. They want their injection of football, and they're willing to dissolve 100 years of history to go chase that money and get more and get bigger.
2: Appreciate the phone call. Appreciate that. Um, You know, that's a great point. I mean, you talk higher education, the mission of higher education often flies in the face of the mission of major college football and major college athletics, period. It's why um, I think moving forward, whenever we hear a college administrator use the term student athlete, if they are operating in a conference like the SEC, the Big Ten, the Big 12, the ACC, we ought to roll our eyes Maybe with some of the others too. We got a great show for you today. Stanford Steve's coming on the show from ESPN. Steven's excited about that. He is our resident uh, expert on uh, wagering. Stanford Steve, Steve Coughlin will be on the show at 4 o'clock. Tom Wistersill, Commissioner of the Big Sky Conference. He's going to join us as well to talk about the landscape, the trickle down effect, and more. Your phone calls plus punch it audio still ahead. Leave it here. You got the BFT statewide. Well, I just tweeted out an interesting tweet. Came from Oregon State, uh, Jothi Murthy, the president at Oregon State, has issued a statement to uh, the community at Oregon State. Um, it's a lot of uh, a lot of words, but the uh, the sentence that jumped out at me quote We continue to believe that preserving the Pac-12 is in the best interest of Oregon State student athletes and the remaining universities." And so we are doing everything in our control to stabilize and rebuild the conference. End quote. Um, you know, there's uh, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, words in this statement about trust and about the student body and about the uh, rallying behind uh, the athletes on campus. And but uh, that the at the fundamental core of her statement uh, just jumped out at me that Oregon State. Uh, Its position, apparently, is that it's in the best interest of Oregon State to rebuild the Pac-4 and turn it back into something else. This dovetails with something uh, tweeted just a a moment ago from Pat Forty. What do you have, Stephen, on that front? Pat Forty reporting on the ACC front.
6: Yeah, this came out just eight minutes ago. He said sources say the Stanford-Cal-ACC realignment bid has stalled one one vote short. And if that doesn't change what would the options for the bay area schools be what could that have what could that have to do with uh, what oregon state put out there john is that everything uh, correlation
2: yeah i think it i think it definitely is correlated i think i think the prevailing thought right now among the remaining four schools is that they are better off together they've obviously contracted with oliver luck i think they're going to make a run at making it happen i do think there'll be options for stanford and maybe some others down the road and there's always the Mountain West Conference as a fallback for Oregon State and Washington State. But I just don't think Stanford wants to be anywhere near Fresno State, San Jose State, Boise State at this point. And I think that actually works in the favor of Oregon State and Washington State because they can align with Stanford and Cal and, and cling to each other like uh, you know like, uh, they're, uh, they're just huddled up right now, trying, like penguins trying to, trying to survive the storm. Uh, let's go to the phone lines. Marks and Beaverton, Mark, what's on your mind?
0: Hey John, thank you. So, I don't know a lot about Oliver Luck other than what you shared, but I'm all, you know, automatically a huge fan of his, and he's clearly a proponent of the Pac-12. I mean, not just three of his four kids. I mean, we all know um, Andrew Luck, uh, quarterback for Stanford, but he even interviewed for the position along the George. And so, wow! If if we knew then, you know, what we know now, uh, could have been totally different. And who knows? this may be his prerequisite work being an an advisor that could parlay into him maybe being the next uh, commissioner because we know George isn't going to stick around. Uh, I mean, something's going to happen to him, obviously, eventually. So uh, maybe that opens the door for Oliver Luck to be the the next, you know, Pac-12 commissioner. And I'll leave you with a question of like, where is George? You know, John, is it just me? Or is it weird that like he's put his head in the sand and, and he's, you know nowhere to be found
2: yeah i don't think he has a lot good to say he should have come out i think he knows it's probably done for him i do know that he's continued to participate in meetings with partners sponsors they have a conference to run they have a football season coming up then they have a basketball season coming up and i think operationally it's going to be a nightmare for the conference if they don't Know that they have something, and they don't know they're sticking together. How do you keep your deputy commissioners? How do you keep your uh, your corp- corporate sales team? How do you manage the uh, the clients and the relationships you have with your sponsors? How do you put on events? How do you hold a men's and women's basketball tournament in Vegas and a conference football championship in Vegas if you don't have media relations and corporate partners and sales teams? And uh, you know what about your officials? What about you know? There's a there's a lot of questions. And, you know, I am told, I have communicated with George Klyovkov, I have talked with George Klyofkov since last Friday, and, uh, you know, I was told that his primary mission was to serve the four remaining members. Initially, he told me his mission was to to make sure that they found uh, landing space or a, a good landing space, so I think he was working on that front. But I think the four schools, Washington State, very frustrated with him, Kirk Schultz is comments uh, just a couple of days ago sort of underscore that and pat chun's comments on this show earlier this week underscore that as well uh you know what a failure of leadership it was i think they're not looking to george klyovkov for the solutions they're looking to oliver luck and saying hey we you, you're the guy that you're going to hand you the keys and i do think there's an angle here for oliver luck like look for as smart as he is as a guy like i talked to a industry source this morning and i said tell me about oliver luck tell me you know what, he, what he's done, what he's been around. And, you know, he's a guy who's worked at the NCAA, lives in Indianapolis. He's a guy who has been the athletic director at West Virginia. He worked in, in Houston as part of, you know, the sports authority in Houston, basically Sport Oregon of Houston. He has consulted with the Big 12 and a bunch of other individual schools. I think he's a smart guy. He's done a lot. He was commissioner of the XFL. You may remember Vince McMahon. Uh, in the XFL, um, you know, it, 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 Oliver Luck sued Vince McMahon and sued the XFL and and won and won a settlement from the XFL over his firing. But I, you know, I for all that smarts, for all of everything that's gone on, I asked the industry source, like, you know, what are his big success stories? And a lot of them are behind the scenes things that you know everybody knows he's smart. Everybody knows he's well connected. His fingerprints may be on some of the Big Twelve schools that they have brought into the fold. Certainly, I know that SMU has hired him. He's been charged with getting SMU into a Power Five conference for a while. That hasn't happened, but I think you know the possible role of commissioner of the Pac, whatever, could be a good landing spot for Oliver Luck. Well, could be.
6: I got a question for you about him because don't, in the Pac twelve in general, the Pac four, you know, the reputation of the Pac four, Pac twelve isn't great right now. Is that part of the reason why you go out and you try to get a guy like Oliver Luck who has a good reputation to be affiliated with that conference? Because if I'm a Mountain West school, I don't necessarily want to say, like, I want to jump to the Pac-12. I want to be part of that. Like, I don't trust the leadership over there after all these stories we've heard. At least with Oliver Luck now, it sounds like there could be some type of, you know, good reputation again with the Pac-12 and maybe try to convince some teams. Like, yeah, we know what we're doing. We're going to restart this thing. And you can be a part of it. Yeah, and I think...
2: It's all upside. I was thinking about this. When George Klyovkov took over the Pac-12 commissioner job, I thought, what a low bar to clear. Just get over, get over that low bar that Larry Scott set. Well, he didn't get over it. And in fact, uh, the conference is not only in worse position than it was when George Klyovkov took over. He lost all but four teams. Like, you know, he inherited a conference of 12. He's lost eight teams so he's sitting on four teams now. Now, I kept thinking, like tell me if you think this is nutty, Stephen. Like if you're Oliver Luck, you're looking over at the Pac-12 going, I can do no wrong here. Either I I become the salvation of this conference and I save it and I become the commissioner and I become a guy that everybody in college football goes, look at Oliver Luck. He not only rebuilt that thing, it's thriving, it becomes a Power 5. All, you know, there's a lot of upside potentially uh, for, for Oliver Luck. And, 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 you know, I, I got on the phone with Oliver Luck earlier this week and asked him and I said, Hey, are you consulting with the four? And he says, I'm not going to say anything. And I said, okay, I, you know, I got to ask the question. And, and, you know, I talked a little bit about the PAC 12 with him, but he was really close to the vest. He wouldn't really say anything. And I left that conversation thinking he's definitely working for the PAC 12. And then I went back and I checked with, Two different schools in the Pac-12 who confirmed it for me, and they said yes. All four of us have hired him. He's working on behalf of everybody, and you know this is this is how it's going. and And so I just think it's it's really interesting. Do Do you think like there's just a hundred percent upside for a guy like Oliver Luck on this deal?
6: Oh, I do, hundred percent. I mean, you talk about you know a stock market. The Pac-12 is down, right? <laughs> you buy it when it's low, you sell it when it's high. It's at its lowest. I mean, what you know, like you said, what's the downside of him? join the Pac-12 and it goes away. Everyone already thinks the Pac-12 is going away anyway. So if he can be the guy who saves it and builds up the reputation and gets that conference going again, it's like when we think of the Pac-12, like the face of it, I always think of like Bill Walton, like this could make it where it's Bill Walton and Oliver Luck. Like he revitalized the entire conference. So yeah, you're right. Like for him, this is a win-win situation. There's no losing for him in this situation, even if the Pac-12 goes away, that's what we kind of all think. So he gets it going again and gets it on the right track. We're going to look at Oliver Luck and say, you know what, this is the guy that saved the Pac-12, and now if you're Oregon State, you're Washington State. You know, you're going to look at that guy and say, you know what, this, you know, praise that guy because he he got us into the Pac-12 and kept the Pac-12 alive.
2: Yep, I think uh, you know if you want to be commissioner of the thing, great, uh, make yourself commissioner of the thing. But I also kind of look at the conference and I go, okay. Um, You know, here's what one person told me as well. Like, you know, there's going to be a lot of lawyers involved in whatever happens next with the Pac-4, Pac-5, Pac-6, because it's evident that the four remaining members want control of the revenue. They want control of the NCAA tournament units. They want control of the emergency funds. And the departing members would probably love nothing more than to just split everything 12 ways. Hey, call it good. Everybody gets a fair share. So I think you're going to have a little bit of a tug of war here in the coming days and weeks as the attorneys for the PAC-12 conference sort of unpack what what membership is, who gets the board votes. I think the original thought was there's four board votes, and now I'm being told, like, yeah, let's look at it. We want to examine that. I also think it's interesting from the NCAA's standpoint, you know, that Autonomous Five designation, the Power Five conference designation, it's interesting to me that, you know, I thought, it was SEC, ACC, Big 12, Big 10, Pac-12. There's your five, Autonomous Five, or Power Five conferences. They should just call them the A-5. I don't know why we got into this Power Five b- business. But the Autonomous Five get NCAA tournament automatic bids. They get more college football playoff revenue, yada, 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 as they say on Seinfeld. But I, as I unpacked that, it's interesting because in the council where they name the conferences... They don't just name the conferences. They named the members of the conferences. So Stanford, Washington State, Oregon State, and Cal are named by name as members of the A5 because they really comprise the conference along with the other eight members of the Pac-12 currently uh, until next summer. So it's, it's going to be an interesting fight if the Big 12, ACC, SEC, and Big Ten try to take away the Power Five designation from the Pac 12. They literally have to look at Stanford and Cal and Oregon State and Washington State and say, legally, we considered you Power Five members yesterday, but we don't consider you Power Five members today. And if they added four more schools to become eight, you know, I do think it would be headed to litigation if they tried to strip that autonomous five. Designation because Stanford could argue and Cal could argue that the other conferences, the Big Ten and the Big Twelve in particular, colluded to destroy and dismantle and and uh, and cause uh, you know the 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 designation of the conference to re- be removed from a Power Five status. But and is that
6: is that good for college football if all this gets you know into such a I mean, the high level of court. Like, is that good for college football? I mean, no, I, see, that's no. my problem with this. You no, know. none of it. it. It
2: just should have stayed how it was. It just, it was just silly to me that we're going to have teams flying all over the country. Even Stanford, Cal, you know, the talk about them playing in the ACC, you know, it, it, they're hung up on one vote. So, are we telling me that like almost. Half of that conference has lost its mind, too, and the ACC is supposed to be so smart. Like They're going, yeah, we'll go out to Palo Alto to play games. We'll go to Berkeley. It's no problem. It's just silly that uh, everybody's getting dragged around the country the way they are. All right, coming up, uh, we're going to play some Punch It Audio. Stanford Steve from ESPN. Steve Coughlin will be joining us at 4 uh, o'clock. He's going to be part of the uh, ESPN College Football Game Day show here moving forward. He'll be joining us to talk about that. Plus, uh, I'll ask him about you know, how he feels about Stanford's position. In in college football and beyond. And we'll get a visit from Tom Wisterstill. He is the Big Sky Conference commissioner, friend of this show. I got to know what he thinks of the landscape. And will there be a trickle down effect to the Big Sky Conference? Wisterstill coming up in the four o'clock hour. I'll take a couple of calls. We'll jump into Punch It Audio. Uh, coming up, top of the hour, four o'clock, Stanford Steve. Steve Coughlin, ESPN. Uh, he will be joining us. Uh, he's going to be on their College Football Game Day show. He is. Uh, I think he's. Uh, is he's in the gambling space? Is that a, is that a safe way to put it, Stephen?
6: Yeah, I would say so. He uh, has a podcast, a gambling podcast that he does. So yeah, I'd say he's in he's in the space. He's in the space.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs>
6: what space are you in, by the way? I, hey, you had
2: a nice day off, huh? I did you had a good day off.
6: I did. Yeah. I uh, you know played with uh, the kids. Had the cousins over, so a lot of kids, a lot of me, and uh, it was a lot of fun. Did it feel like a day off? No, not really. <laughs> I got some we got some shots up and playing basketball, so that's Ain't good.
2: it the truth. Ain't it the truth. Mike is in Centralia. Mike, what's up, man?
7: John, how are you doing? Um, I'm doing good. You know, first things first, what a shame that this is all going down the way it is, especially with the uh, Pac-12 schedule the way it is and the competitiveness that we were that we're going to have this year, but... I just don't see how we're going to get out of this. I really don't. I mean, uh, Mr. Luck is a lot smarter than I am, and I'm, I'm I'm hoping he can pull a rabbit out of out of his hat. But uh, right now, we're we're vulnerable and weak, and that's why we lost what we lost. Um, I can't see a four or a six team conference being taken seriously, um, and I really don't trust the Big Ten. I really believe, in my opinion that Cal and um, Stanford are going there. They're just waiting. Um, they want that market. And I think, in my opinion, and again, Mr. Luck's a lot smarter than I am, I don't think it's going to be a bad deal for Wazoo and Oregon State to go to the Mountain West. Um, and I think the sooner they realize that, the better. I just don't see a, a four- or six-league team being taken seriously. I, I just I just don't see that. Um, well, you have,
2: adds- you have two years to get – you have to get above eight to be considered a conference in the eyes of the NCAA. I thought it was six. It's eight actually when you look at the bylaws. But the uh the catch is you have a two year grace period. So they could exist as a four-team conference for two years. Now it would require a whole bunch of scheduling issues in football because you ideally want, you know, nine opponents in your uh in your conference to play against. And so it would cause Oregon State, Washington State, Stanford and Cal, if you stay at four or even if you went to six, it would it would require you to go out and find extra non-conference opponents or you play each other twice, which uh, is less than ideal. But um, there's also uh, there's some upside here. If you could build this thing from a football standpoint, if you could rebuild it again, NCAA tournament money is interesting when it comes to the conference, you know. When Arizona makes the tournament and wins a game, it gets one unit. When it wins two games, it gets two units. Three games, three units, so on and so forth. A couple of years ago, three years ago, amid the pandemic, UCLA, Oregon State, Oregon, and USC all advanced deep into the NCAA tournament, Sweet 16 or better. They had five teams, I believe, from the Pac-12 that made the Sweet 16. It was an interesting and unusual season whole bunch of NCAA tournament units attached to that. And because of that, you know, it's why when we see the distributions to the Pac-12 conference, we always see like, hey, they had $31 million a year in revenue from the TV media deal, but the actual distributions were $38 million. Well, there's like $7 million per university, 6 to $7 million per university per year that gets distributed equally because those units belong to the conference and they're rolling over a six- or seven-year period. So they're not distributed in a lump sum. They come in a six or seven year wave. It allows the NCAA to pay them out differently. It allows the uh, member institutions to benefit, even though and they get payouts, even though maybe they don't have a they have a down year. So it's interesting to look at those payouts because if you are a four team conference, you're now not splitting it twelve ways. You're splitting it four ways, and I'm told that the pie there is a fifty to seventy million dollar you know uh you know pie every year. So let's just say it's a $50 million payout that is coming in 2024. If you stay in the Pac-12 conference, you're splitting that four ways, or six ways, or eight ways, depending on if they add members. But it's possible that there could be more money available to Stanford, Cal, Oregon State, Washington State, staying in the conference than seeking the Mountain West Conference, which has – a $5 million a year meteorites deal. So you go to the Mountain West, you get $5 bucks. You stay in the Pac-12, you're splitting $50 million to $70 million four ways over a period of six years. And, oh, by the way, if you layer on top of that even a minimal TV deal, let's say they go out, they go back to Apple, they say, look, we know we're not worth $25 million, but, you know, are we worth uh, this collective four teams, are they worth seven million dollars uh you know maybe they get you know an additional seven there that all of a sudden you're looking at oregon state and you're going gosh they're in, not in a horrible position and they're in a far more advantageous position than they were had they gone to the mountain west conference does that make any sense am i spitting any truth on that front
6: let's go, i got a ahead. question I get, maybe this is a dumb question um because you said they have a two-year grace period right to get get the teams up is there like what would be the exit fees for a team like arizona state like let's say they hate it in the big 12 Could they leave in two years and be like, you know what, let's go back to the Pac-12 because Oliver Luck's got this thing rolling? It's
2: it's stiff for prior Big 12 members. Remember, Texas and Oklahoma had to pay like $120 million to get out of that conference. Uh, But I don't know for the newcomers. I don't know what they signed. We don't have the details on that. I don't know. But I do know what's going to happen in 2029 and 2030 is going to be, I think, another round of chaos. Because I think the Big Ten, by then, you're going to have an idea. Did all the schools that go to the Big Ten, were they happy? Does UCLA want to come home? Does Oregon want to come home? Does Washington want to come home? Who's not happy? I think we could see another round of kind of re- realignment and expansion. And, and here's what I like about the Pac-4 trying to stick together. Let's just say that you decide to make a run for it. You know, instead of running for the hills, joining the ACC, joining the Mountain West, fallback option – What's wrong with trying to be one of the at-large teams in the college football playoff, if you're Oregon State, in the Pac-4, in in the Pac-6, in the Pac-8, whatever it becomes, rather than taking the fallback position that will be available to you anyway in two years and in four years, isn't the more inspiring thing to go for it? Like that Jerry Maguire, fish-have-manners moment where he's leaving the office, walking out, and again... This is a radio show host and sports columnist who walked away from a newspaper. The paper was telling me, you're making a horrible mistake. I, I needed to go on my own and do my own thing. I wasn't afraid to take a risk and bet on myself. But I look at conferences and I look at academics and I say it's a whole other equation when you're involving other people and student athletes and fans and brands. But I kind of find it inspiring that they might try to make a run out of this. Let's go to Roy in Portland. Roy, welcome to the conversation.
1: Hey, John, man. Uh, I love you, man. Uh, you know, but come on, John. <laughs> come on, man. This is not going to work. Man. I mean, come, I mean, come on, guys. It's, it, it, you know what? This is like watching a friend go through a breakup with a girl or something or his wife, and he's in denial. He said, well, maybe if I would have worked out more, and maybe if I go to the gym, or maybe if I give her flowers. maybe." No, it's over. It's over, man. People but do you walk away, Roy, over. but let me ask
2: you this. Do you walk away from that NCAA tournament money? It it goes, if you don't take it in the conference, it's it's about $300 million over the next six years. If you don't take it, it goes to Arizona. It goes to UCLA. Stanford, Cal, Oregon State, Washington State can keep it if they stay where they are.
1: John, I respect all of the luck. Maybe if you still have the Arizona schools and Utah, you might be able to cobble something together. But I'm going to be honest with you, John. From all the country, nobody respects these four schools in, in, in any sport. It may be the Olympic sports for Stanford, but no school. Even if you did stick together and be fourteen, nobody's going to respect that. Who, 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 who are you going to schedule? Nobody respects outside looking in. I'm just saying.
5: Nobody I think, respects
1: I think Stanford's, still, Stanford's still going to play Notre Dame.
2: Uh, I'm sorry? Stanford's still going mean, to play Notre Dame.
1: Yeah, they're still going to play Notre Dame, but, you know, it's it, – I just, I just don't see a path forward, man. Like, I was thinking about this yesterday. If Oregon State did go to the Mountain West, they still could have a great schedule. Look, you could still schedule Washington State, you could still schedule Oregon. That'll be. You can schedule like a Big Ten team for your offseason. season. Then you can have a schedule with a Fresno State, uh, a Utah State, a San Diego State. That's a pretty good.
8: That's yeah, a pretty I like good it.
2: Schedule. I like, I like that. I like that. You I would, I w- I wouldn't be allergic to that. But I still say you go for it. I think it's a fallback. I think the Mountain West is a fallback. Fallback plan. Let's go to Michael and Eugene. Michael, you got to be quick. you got about 30 seconds. Go.
7: John, I think the Beavers should hold out for something better. But what is Wazoo going to do now? You know their AD is going to be the replacement for Gene Smith in Columbus for Ohio State. He's going to get that AD job. So what are they going to do? And then – I wanted to give you and Wilmer credit. I was listening to your uh, joint podcast. This whole thing is the fault, of the president's and their arrogance.: Oh, yeah. I negotiate for a living. They don't know how to negotiate. They should have deferred to George K. They didn't. They pissed the SP yeah. off.
2: Yeah, look, I, yeah, they, they should have hired consultants and let the consultants, you know, lean on them for advice. They didn't: <laughs> This might sound strange. But when I heard that the Pac twelve was imploding, I thought a lot about a lot of different people who have connections to the Pac-Twelve Conference. I thought about players who had played in the conference, coaches who had coached in the conference. I even thought about Stanford Steve. Steve Coughlin on you know Sports Center commentator. Segment producer on uh Sports Center with Scott Van Pelt. Sports betting analyst, man of the world, bad beats, all that stuff, attended Stanford when he was a tight end on the football team. I got to know if Stanford Steve is behind the effort or supports the effort for the Pac-12 conference to stay together. The four remaining, the, the survivors, stay together, rebuild the conference, or scatter and go separate ways. Steve Coughlin, Stanford Steve, joining the show. How you doing, man?
9: What's up, my man? I appreciate you thinking of me and having me on. Uh, been a whirlwind. I was just telling your producer, you've 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 not uh, had to look far for content these past <laughs> couple weeks. So uh I know what it's like to try in the summer days, man, coming up with content. You uh the roll the balls out and, and, and have at it. That's a uh, good job by you. You've done an unbelievable job covering everything and uh Take the world of your work. You're as dialed in as anybody out there, and uh, yeah, it's um, it's unfortunate, man. You know, I, I just it, it's sad. You know, I just think about you know I played in, in in some great times when you know the Pac-10 was up there. We won it, you know, in '99. We my last game was the Rose Bowl, in 2000. We lost to Ron Dane. Uh, You know, going up to Husky Stadium and in Tuyatosopo setting the record with 300 and 200 against us, and let alone the next week we're the biggest UCLA fans in the world, and UCLA knocks them off. It gives us the free reign and a free ride. We beat Arizona State and beat Cal. It's one of the greatest things in my life uh, to play the Rose Bowl on my 23rd birthday, and, and to think about it that it's, it's not going to happen. Um, and just every way you think, it's just it's really sad because – You know, I played it. I I felt, I felt people in the fans. That you know, I think about them. You, you feel that's what makes rivalries. You feel the angst. You feel the emotion. And when you look at across what's happened in the other teams previously that have left, I get it. They they did it for the money. But you know, where's that money going? Is that making everybody happy? I don't. I don't think so. Uh, and it just leaves the fan. I, I, I just I, I think about the fans and the players that that, that invest the time, and you are just looking in the mirror, you know, it doesn't feel right because it's not right, you know. And that, and that's what it comes down to. Uh, but it's it starts. I, I just think with with brutal leadership, um, you know, especially Reed and John, just about the idea that ESPN came a year ago with the offer just as good. On linear TV, and the, and the and the presidents having the just no knowledge of the situation yeah. and wanting double the number like that that that's where it really sticks out. I think it was you that came out. You know,
3: we were, yeah. here's
9: what they were offering a, a year ago. A year ago today, this could have been all bypassed and uh, just self selfish, selfless, and not smart leadership across the board in the conference has led to this
2: the the tell the influence of television media in general and look it's hypocritical cuz we're sitting on a radio show and you work at ESPN, yeah. and i get i get it right yep. like i get yeah. the power of tv but i also think gosh there's tradition there's rivalries mm. i the the, the 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 in the bay area i grew up in the bay area the the early kickoffs when the sun's shining the smell of the eucalyptus trees yeah. outside outside stanford stadium and and i think gosh that has to count for something
9: right Yeah, you would think so. Like, yeah, think about telling yourself back then that this this possibly was like it it was gone. It's just poof, and it's gone. There's no preparation for it, you know. Like, and that that comes down to the leadership. There was no plan. There was no plan for the worst case scenario, and and that's where you know I think about teams. I think about my playing days. You know, you you, you practice every guard. we gotta, we got to have this ready. If our quarterback gets hurt, we're, we're practicing for the worst situation. Guys go down on defense. All right, twos, get up there. You're running with the ones today. You know, it, it, it's just a simple basis of having a plan, and they just kept back, backpedaling. Uh, I thought the lack of urgency during and around COVID, I get it. People were handcuffed in the state of California, but there was no push. There was no, you know, I, you, you look at other conferences, you know, specifically SEC. They did everything they could to get those guys back out in the field and get the fans back in the stadiums. And I get it; there, the circumstances were different, but there was a, there was an effort, you know. And I, I just look, I look at Stanford now like this, we got no president. There's zero leadership. Our athletic director, I, I haven't seen a quote from him. You know, is there any update you could give your fans, your players, your programs? Um, it's just it's just really really sad to see, and the timing of it all. You know, the timing I think is the one that that really kicks you because you know we, we 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 throw around the term you know talking season. We love talking about who's you know who's winning jobs right now and who's who's looking good and freshmen coming in and transfers that are going to help teams out. And here we are talking about a, a you know four teams that don't have a home.
2: There's a there's some sentiment now, and there's a push now for the four to maybe stay together. And I know the ACC stuff has been bantered about, but in your mind, you know, where does Stanford belong? And you know the mentality of Stanford. Who are they going to be okay with adding to the conference? Are they going to say, hey, no, we're too good for San Diego State, but we'll take Rice, we'll take SMU because of the academics. You know Stanford better than anybody, Stanford, Steve. Will Stanford be okay letting in some schools that maybe don't have the academic uh, threshold because, hey, it's about survival now?
9: Well, that, that's a combination of things that's scary because previous decisions that have been made have just been brutal. I mean, go back to when they tried cutting all the sports. That was, that, that, that was a bad, bad look. And the wrestling team comes back and says, no, we're, we're coming back. So are they going to be put in a situation to make those decisions? Yeah, but are the people capable enough? You know, I, I just look at the, across the board, and, I, again, it goes to the lack of leadership. Yeah, there's going to be decisions. I, I don't know if I'm going to agree with them. Uh, you know, everybody has their own feelings. I, I, I just, I think it's 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 a start. Um, I, I still think the, the geographic. I mean, you just look at the the country now and look at the separation of where these schools are. <laughs> and I'm not talking about the travel thing or anything, but I'm just talking about what it looks like. Um, it's a, it's a scary thing. I think it's brave. Uh, for those four schools I think they're you know as you see it they're the four lowest totem pole in the conference uh, or what's left of the conference uh so yeah I mean if if, if they got that kind of unity um I think it's something to pursue uh it's it's uh, they're not going to be guaranteed anything when you're talking about a playoff spot or anything like that there's I don't don't see how you can be when you look at what your possibilities are that you're going to bring in
2: Stanford football when you were there fantastic Competed at the top of the conference, great games. Uh, I look back to uh, you know Jim Harbaugh, David Shaw's early years, and I think, gosh, mm-hmm. they were pl- they were doing they were doing different stuff. And it, do you think if Stanford had been better in the last decade, they would have be in the position they're in now, or would they be with the halves?
9: Oh, I think they'd be with the halves. I, I think the timing is is absolutely brutal. I go back to you know being in Connecticut when it happened to UConn. Uh, you know when they when that that decision, um, you know they they no one would take them because of how bad the football was, uh, and here we are. What is that about ten years? You know they just coming off a national championship in basketball, um, and you know they they have their foot feet back on the ground. But it it takes time. It takes time to build it. I mean look at I mean as good as it was when we're uh, you know we won, you know Pac ten in ninety nine. I think it was double digit win uh, team in oh one. Coach goes to uh, South Bend. Those are some lean years, right there, man, with Walt Harris and Buddy <laughs> Tevens, and, and I mean that was that was bad. That was borderline. You know, I I got the remote in my hand at, at midnight on the East Coast, and I, am I going to stay up to watch this beating to to Oregon? Uh, those were lean, but you know, Harbaugh came in, and I, that's I owe everything. Uh, I think everybody should for for what he did and and put his feet in the ground and going after admissions and saying this is the only way it's going to be done. Uh so I think the timing is 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 brutal um for this getting back to you know them looking at what they are right now. They don't even have 85 scholarship guys John this year. Like I I'm I it could be worse at the end of this year for for what they're going to look like and what the perception is.
2: It's going to be really hard to to watch this season in some ways. But the football also could be really good. There's five or six great quarterbacks, five or six great teams. From your vantage point at ESPN and, you know, now on a college football game day, you're going to be there every week to share your picks and your bets. That's yeah. great. Congrats for that, man. But what kind of season will this be in your mind for the conference? How weird will it feel? How how special could it be?
3: Oh,
9: I think it's going to be awesome. I, I, I am so fired up for the season and, and that's the problem. And then, poof, it's going to be gone. I, I just look at all the storylines you have and, you know, I, I look at the top. You know, everybody's saying five teams. You know, it, it's Utah, it's Oregon, it's Washington, uh, SC. I put UCLA in there. I think UCLA is going to be damn good this year. Uh, Chip Kelly's won or went to a national championship with a freshman quarterback. You're trying to tell me he, he doesn't know how to do it. And I, no one talks about how much they're returning. Uh, and I love the schedule. They don't play Oregon or Washington. Um, so, and then you got Utah, who just people throw the side. I mean, do you want to talk about? I mean, you they're a team. I was thinking about those Utah and TCU. Those are like the two schools that have benefited from moving conference. Those are like the only two that have success and have had success in the new place they're going. And here's Utah leaving again. But uh, no, I, going back to this season, I cannot wait. Uh, UCLA goes to Utah early. Um, I'm, I, I think Oregon is in a fascinating situation because this is the stuff I really look at because, you know, the connection with Dillingham and Bo Nix, right? He was as good as he's ever been with him calling the plays. And now your new guy comes in, how much do you change? You know, you a new offense coordinator comes in, and he's going to put his stamp on things. But when you look at what Bo Nix does, like, you can't. Alter, I, I think you're kind of handcuffed in, in maybe some of your beliefs because you got to play to what the strengths are, and, and, and Dillingham got that out of Bo Nix, so I think that's a fascinating situation to watch. I think that's a a, a huge game uh, for the conference, especially going to Lubbock uh, week two, and and Washington uh, as good as a hire uh, and a guy that I I'm blown away going back to the Indiana days with Deboer. I, I think the world of that guy, and the and you know. I, at Stanford, you know, we talk about it, it, it's going to take time because they have to build a roster up. Washington, I mean, look at what he did at Fresno State. That, that was as bad as Fresno State's been in my lifetime, and he comes in and turns around like that. So I, I think there's so much, and I haven't even talked about FC. Uh, so I, I think there's so, so much good. Uh, and this, this the problem is, is 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 a lot of the cases, and you know this better than anybody, and I try and explain it to, to, to people on the East Coast, is – it's hard to go on the road because, yes, you're not going to play sometimes in, in full buildings. And you go to, you go to you know, Tempe on a Saturday night, and it's 100 degrees, half, half stadium, and Arizona State's ready. To, like, that's their favorite thing in the world, uh, just playing that thing. You, you saw them get Oregon a couple of years ago. Yep. Um, it's the best surface in the world. Uh, so, I, I, th- I look at, you know, a team like Arizona who's going to benefit all that. You saw them do it last year. Uh, so I, 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 there is not an easy step in that conference. Um, but I, I still, I, if I had to pick right now, I, I'm going to go Utah and UCLA play in the, in the conference championship.
2: It's funny. On Pac-12 Media Day, Kyle Whittingham stepped into the radio booth when I was doing the show, and I said, did you see okay. the media poll? And he's picked third. And uh, he says, what do we have to do? He goes, we win two in a row. we got to win three in a row to get respect. <laughs> what do we have to do? Uh, wh- what do you do with Colorado? Over, under, win total, three and a half. Stanford, Steve. Where do you lean?
9: Yeah, I, I got to I, – Here's the deal. When I look at these season win totals, John, I, you, everybody has their toss-up games, your if games, like right. There's not a lot on the schedule. Uh, <laughs> I think he could have. I, I'm serious. I think a successful season. If he can have a successful season, if he's three, if they finish three and nine, because you're going to have the stadium packed every week. You're good. You' you got to be in some games at home to keep the fan base going. My worry is how bad that roster is constructed right now with what has happened through the portal. And I think week one is a, a bombshell of a game because if they go in and get rolled by TCU, that, that, that's, they're right back to where they were. like all of, all the hype and all the positiveness Dion has brought in. that is poof gone in one 60 minute game. And how are those guys going to react when they go back, they watch that tape, and now you've got a hungry Nebraska team. Like, that week one game for Colorado I think is a huge tipping point. You have to show some signs of being dangerous on offense and, and being able to score at least. But I think TCU's uh, pretty – I thought they did a great job. I think TCU is a team that actually upgraded an offensive coordinator. I, I like Kendall Briles, uh compared to Riley. Uh, they're going to be more, more sound. And um, I think that's a really, really tough spot that could get sideways for Colorado in week one. And I I would lean, like I said, I think three and nine is is fine with what they are, so I would lean towards under three and a half.
2: Week four, Colorado will go to Autzen Stadium and play Oregon. And Dan Lanning, you may have heard this, but I want to play this for listeners who haven't heard it. He's asked about Colorado leaving the conference. Not a
7: big
10: reaction. I mean, I'm trying to remember what, what they won to affect this conference. I don't remember. Do you remember them winning anything? I don't remember them winning anything. <laughs>
2: <laughs> do you love that? Do you hate that? What do you? What's God your do. reaction?
9: Oh, I love it. I love the edge that Landing comes uh, comes with. I saw it when he was at Georgia, um, being at a bunch of their games, and I, I he is definitely. I mean, you saw his team play with that. In uh, fact, that that game could because is that before or after Colorado gets SC. I that's think the week before Colorado. Uh, yeah. Colorado plays yeah, Oregon, like
2: Oregon, then Nessie. Yeah.
9: Yeah. That's, that's the, that might be the toughest back to back in the conference all year. Uh, so that could be, I mean, that, you're looking at possibly giving up 60 back to back weeks. Um, and you know, Oregon, if they're in, that's the other thing. Colorado, you you know, you're out. Yeah, that's great. But I'm in this day and age when people could put a statement and, and put another touchdown on the board, you don't see those starters come out. Um, you're gonna have Bonek trying to trying to get some more stats for for a player of the year possibility in the conference. That that's gonna be an ugly sequence uh, those two weeks for Buffalo the Buffalo. So uh, yeah, I, I love what uh, Lanning said, and I love the edge that he's brought to that program for sure.
2: Stay Steve Coughlin Stanford Steve with us. Uh, uh, I mentioned uh, ESPN College Game Day. You're gonna be doing uh, some some best bets and some gambling uh, talk on mm-hmm. that. What's, what's it going to be? What will you be adding?
9: Well, I'm also going to talk football and to the Like, <laughs> I've just been paraded because we put the betting in. Like, everybody thinks I'm going to be on the show and everything's going to be, hey, uh, this team's giving seven. <laughs> I am going. I, I am a fan of the sport. I watch tape of games. I know who the players are. Like, I could talk. Well, I've sat at the desk with, with McAfee and Herbie and Dez before. <laughs> I did it at the Rose Bowl. I did it at the Peach Bowl. I did a national championship. Like I, I know, I, I, I'm a follower of the sport. It's not just going to be gambling. So that's what I'm most excited uh, to do. There's possibility of uh, me getting out and going to interview some players. We've talked about that. Um, I will have. I mean, they just threw it in my face. You're going to have six picks. Six is a lot, especially when I'm looking at that Week One board. There's not a lot <laughs> to pick there when you're looking at multiple 30 point spreads, uh, and that's a that's a tough one to get off. Uh, get off the, the the deck with with a week one slate as, as looking as it is. Um, so no, there'll it, it, be some spreads. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna have some stuff up my sleeve to throw at the guys on the desk, With some spontaneous reaction uh, to try and catch them off guard. That uh, only the producers and I will. Um, I, I think I'm gonna have a set, a setup um, off off the set uh, where where I'll have my six pack of picks, and I, I think we're talking about a refrigerator with some old magic stickers. <laughs> uh, that that will uh, hopefully make pe- some people laugh. So, um, yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to it, man. Like, you, you guys know, I mean, the diehards out there, you wake up, you know, at 6 a.m. to watch that show on the West Coast. I did it in my playing days. I, I never missed that show. It was always, hey, is Herbst going to talk about us this week? You know, hey, we're red hot. I, hopefully game day does something on us. There was always that angst. And, and I just – the energy it brings, I think it's the face of the sport when it comes to TV – uh, and and what they've just look at what they've done and look at the reaction and the crowds they get. Um, it has it, been a it's been a goal of mine to be a part of that show forever. Ever since I started at ESPN in 2004, I did the game day radio show where I was able to travel with those guys for about four years uh, and got a taste of it. Uh, used to actually you know we would go on at noon Eastern on the radio. I would go over and watch it just to you know get that energy because uh, nobody nobody does it like that show does it, and I, I'm just I'm, I'm fired up to be able to just to bring what I have to the table and, and, and enhance the, the knowledge and, and, and uh, hopefully some winners for the people on the show.
2: I love it. And I love that, you know, look, congrats to you. And, you know, I love having you on the show once in a while. Don't big time us when you yep. turn into like big ESPN game day guy. You know, and they got your face on Come the on. side of the trucks and all that. But we love we love having you on.
9: I, I know what it takes to do radio every day. I did it for about oh, 11 years. So uh, I know I know what, especially like I said, in the summer guys, <laughs> I, I feel your pain. Uh, when, you're, when, when you use up all those vacations and you're back and you got hosts uh, you know in and out of their vacation, I've been there. I have so much appreciation. There, there's nothing like building that rundown for a radio show. Uh, it, it really challenges you, challenges you from a creative standpoint. But I also think it brings out the best in everybody because when you get a group of guys and, and girls that work together, that, that's what it's about. You learn what people don't like, and you know how to catch catch people off guard, but you also know what makes you really good. And uh, you've done that for a long time. So uh, keep doing what you're doing. And um, it's like I said, even though I'm I'm, I'm on the – I am the East Coast guy that stays up to the end of Pac-12 after dark. Every thank you, week. man. So, Love uh, that. There are, there are some of those people. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Love it. Stanford, Steve, thank you, man. Appreciate you.
9: Absolutely. Good luck with everything, and uh, talk to you guys soon.
2: All right, there he is, Steve Coughlin. You can catch him, uh, obviously, with Scott Van Pelt on ESPN. And you will now see him on ESPN game day, college game day, on the weekends. Uh, He's joining that crew, and he'll be a regular. Leave it here. We're going to go to the Big Sky Conference next. Tom Wistersil, the commissioner, will check in. What's new on the landscape? Seems like it's changing every five minutes. Oregon State's president, Giothi Murthy, coming out today saying that uh, she believes that the best path forward for Oregon State is for the uh, four remaining members of the conference to rebuild. She says preserving the Pac-12 is in the best interest of Oregon State student-athletes and the remaining universities. You're free to roll your eyes at the term student-athlete these days. Uh, Our next guest, Tom Wistersill, is the commissioner of the Big Sky Conference He's got a conference of teams that are uh, excited to have their season kick off, but he's also got a great vantage point on what's happening in college football. Welcome to the show, Tom. Thanks for joining us.
10: John, always good to be with you, my fellow bald-faced man.
2: <laughs> I appreciate that. Hey, give me, from your standpoint, you're in the big sky, but you're, you know, you're, you're tuned in to what's happening. What does the last eight or ten days or maybe eight or ten months look like to you? So, I mean, you know,
10: kind of focusing on the issue at hand, quite frankly, for someone like me who's a lifelong college sports person, fan as a youngster, and now as part of as my professional career, uh, it's really sad. Uh, that's probably the best way I can put it, um, you know, to see what's happened, that rivalries have just been thrown out the window and and schools like a stanford and 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 the others you just were talking about there, Al wester. Are having trouble finding a home, and it's just just really sad. Uh, The chase for the almighty dollar has led us down a path that uh, is not sustainable and has led people to make decisions that are not in the best interest of what college athletics was built on. So um, sad is probably the adjective I use the most.
2: I am watching this all unfold, and some of it makes no sense at all. Some of it does make a little bit of sense, but the geography of it has me hung up. You know, when you're a commissioner and you're talking to your members, how much does the travel element and the geography factor into even your scheduling and the decisions you guys make if you were potentially going to add schools to your conference someday?
10: Yeah, you know, it's a big factor for us out west. I mean, the big sky, we're in eight states, and our footprint is very much like the Pac-12, very much like the Mountain West. And so, you know, we had a nice little, uh, you know, grouping here of three different levels that – that were you know kind of set up so it's you know it's a big factor because you know our schools have to jump on planes uh they don't charter and uh, so we're at the mercy of the commercial air service and so it's a big topic that comes up as we look at the marketplace out there and you know every one of our president's meetings we talk about membership uh lately we've been talking about it with the ad's group as well you know communication is so important in our in any business but certainly in ours and uh and so geography is a big deal. And, you know, these student athletes, you know, and especially the ones who don't have the ability to charter, um, they're gone so much from campus during their season that it's really difficult to, uh, to to give them the type of college experience that, you know, many of us had that weren't traveling like that. So so it's a big part of the discussion.
2: Yeah, and I'm looking at, you know, the next step for the – for the pack Four or whatnot, and and I want to make you speak out of school, so to speak, as one commissioner talking about another. But you know, how big of a climb or how complicated could it be for a conference that now has four members to try to build to eight, ten, twelve? Does it feel insurmountable? Just tricky. I mean, how if, if we're sitting on a bar stool and I say, Tom, how easy would it be to you know to take a conference of four and try to make it six and eight and ten? over a, maybe a two-year period?
10: Well, it's it's really difficult. And, uh, you know, I I really feel for those four schools. And like you mentioned, the Oregon State's president, she said exactly what she should say. And they should be trying their hardest. That's why Oliver Luck is brought in to try to figure out a solution. Um, you know, the challenges is there's just not great options out there. And, uh, you know, whether they're looking at schools from the Mountain West or the American, you know, they all have, uh, you know uh, challenges as far as buyouts go with their media contracts and their of rights you 've touched on all those in your columns, and uh, you know i mean so it just, it's just it 's really hard and so I totally applaud their effort because keeping that pack twelve pack ten pack eight and, and now pack four uh, keeping that that you know number that name alive nationally is really important, and there 's a lot that goes with it, not only for playoffs and CFP but legislative governance stuff within the NCAA that that the A5 conferences are given that the others aren't. So there's a, a lot there besides just media contracts and media revenue. There's a ton to unpack if something happens that causes the eventual, you know, 100% disappearance of that brand. So so you know, I I like I said I applaud their effort. You know, probably the part that I'm Kind of stuck on now you know, as i think about this is kind of the timing of how all this plays out because you know in order for those four schools to find a home whether it be in the acc which looks unlikely or or you know grabbing some other schools you have the pressure of the twenty four season coming closer and closer every month as we go along and you know there's comes a date where you know where the tv networks that are scheduling out those games is going to have trouble absorbing some of those in so you know, you kind of have, in some ways, in my mind, this three, four month time frame where everything kind of needs to be sorted out for the fall of 24, um, or it just becomes increasingly difficult for anybody to absorb those schools or for those schools to find uh, schools to join them.
2: Tom Wister, still with us, Big Sky Conference Commissioner. Uh, you have a hell of a season in front of you. You've got five new head football coaches. You have, um, I think, some really talented players. I got to meet a few of them at Big Sky Media Day, the weekend you held in Spokane. And uh, I know they're all excited to get on the field, but uh, what are you looking forward to this football season? How excited are you?
10: Well, I'm really excited. You know, like you said, we had a bunch of new coaches. we got six teams. Half our conference is ranked in the top 25 preseason. So you got great, great football players, great programs. You know, I'm just really excited to see how those new coaches are going to blend in. You know, you had like Jason Eck, the new coach at Idaho last year in his first year, took him to the playoffs uh, from near bottom of the conference. So, you know, because the competitive nature of our league is so deep, uh, it's just going to be a really interesting year in football. And I'm really excited to to get to see our student athletes. And, And for us, you know, it's like, you know, we've been talking about all this craziness that we were just referencing for the last, you know, six, eight months, it seems like nonstop. And so, to start to put the focus on football and volleyball and soccer, you know, and cross country is, is just such an exciting time. And let's start focusing on the game soon uh, instead of, you know, off the field issues.
2: Yeah, it's interesting, too, that, you know, I I, I kind of needed that visit with your guys, with the, your football players, because there was part of me, I think, in reporting about the Pac-12 stuff for the last, uh, you know, couple of years and, you know, just the turmoil and and where it was all headed – There was part of me that kind of needed um, a return to college athletics and to see kids like, you know, the quarterback at Montana State and, you know, the the linebacker at Portland State and to meet with the coaches and the assistant coaches and hear people talking about, you know, not talking about realignment, not talking about expansion, but just talking about playing for the love of the game and playing because, you know, it's part of the campus community. It really was refreshing.
10: Well, it was great to have you and Anna there and thank you so much for making the time for us. And, you know, I'm glad to hear you say that because we firmly believe in the big sky. We're, our conference is what college athletics is all about. And it's about the love of the game. And yeah, there are scholarship student athletes playing at an incredibly high level, national championship level. But, you know, but we're not, we're not all about the NIL money and all about the, the media rights trying to, you know, play games any day of the, of the week to get to maximize every dollar home football Saturdays are really important to our conference and we're going to continue to you know to push those but but again I you know that's the great thing about our league and being a big major conference is is we can find that balance and uh, they can be student athletes they can go to class they can major in something they want to major in because chances are most of them are not going pro and so we can we can really push that balance and and make it a great event for people when they come to campus and come to the games and be part of it. Uh, but at least the headlines then are on the student-athletes and coaches and their success and not on the chase for the almighty media dollar.
2: Tom Wistersill with us, Big Sky Conference Commissioner. Are you concerned at all that there will be a trickle-down effect, that, you know, if, if uh, you know, let's say the Pac-12 stays together, takes some teams from the Mountain West, does the Mountain West pivot and look at the Montana schools or, how do you treat that, or how do you handle that in, in today's world as a commissioner of a conference?
10: Well, the most important thing you do is, you know, you've got to keep your ear to the ground. You've got to talk to a lot of people and kind of understand the marketplace, what's out there, what's going on. And then you can only worry about what you can control. You know, if one of our schools gets asked and has that ability and interest to move up to FBS and take on, you know, that cost, then, you know, there's not much we can do about that. Um, except the one thing i 've done i 've really spent a lot of time with our presidents, kind of educating them on the pros and the cons of being in the uh, in the g five and uh, I was an a d in that at that level for six years and so I know the pros and cons for that and uh, the mountain West is a great conference and Gloria and I are very good friends and talk frequently uh, but um, but it 's not for everyone and uh you know so I encourage you know those schools. Um, not just in the Big Sky, but across the country, that are potentially looking at that to really, you know, understand the magnitude of a move to FBS. Not only financially um, in the year and year after year investment in that, but also what you aspire to be at the end of the year. And uh, if you want to play in a bowl game against a team that your fans don't know in Alabama, then you know that's that's the pinnacle for a lot of those teams. Versus in our level, you can get one of twenty four spots and you can win a national championship. And that's been the goal of every one of our programs. So so I think for us and for me, it's about educating every one of our presidents and ADs about the pros and the cons. And then after that, uh, they're going to have to make a decision on their own if they're ever faced with that.
2: Let me ask you, you know, the NCAA tournament, it's one of these places where, you know, your conference champion gets an automatic bid, makes the big dance, the NCAA tournament. You know, the, the tournament field's been talked about. Should they expand the field? Should they remove the automatic qualifiers from small conferences? What's your viewpoint on the health of the NCAA tournament and kind of where the Big Sky champion fits in there?
10: Yeah, great question, John. And as you know, I'm a member of one of the 12 people on the Men's Basketball Committee. So, you know, it's it's something we talk about, you know, certainly at our last few meetings is what does the future of the tournament look like? And, uh, you know, we really look at it as we're kind of not just stewards of, college basketball, but kind of the NCA as well, we're talking, you know, 97% of the revenue that the NCA brings in is as a result of the men's basketball tournament. So, you know, we, we don't just take it lightly that, you know, Hey, let's just increase it by four teams or eight teams or 20 teams and, and just kind of, you know, haphazardly make that decision because the impact has huge implications across the country. So, so that's why we're we're going to take a wait and see approach on this and keep talking about it. Um, the basketball tournament, in my mind, very biased, is the greatest three weeks in sports, and it we own the entire country, and quite frankly, a lot of the world that pay attention to sports, and we got to be really careful about any tweak to that, and uh, it is the one thing that binds us all together, and uh, all 360, you know, roughly is the number right now, Division One schools all have access to that tournament, so so we got to be really careful about any any tweaks we'd make to it. It's something we're going to be very cautious about. From the Big Sky perspective, it, it creates great excitement for us to get seating during the regular season that leads to our conference tournament in Boise because we know one team is getting in, and and so to play to that uh, to that level and, and to that point uh, in late uh, you know late March like that in late February early March is just the pinnacle of what the college athletics experience is about for the Big Sky. So excited about the future with that and. It'll be a slow, slow progress as far as any expansion goes.
2: Tom Wistersill, thank you. Big Sky Conference Commissioner, appreciate you.
10: Always good to be with you, John.
2: There he is, the Commissioner of the Big Sky Conference. Anna will be popping into the studio for the Five at Five. She will handle that. I have so much more ahead, including Punch It Audio, coming up next. Stanford Steve on the show earlier. Steve Coughlin from ESPN. Also, a visit from uh, Tom Worcesterstill, the Big Sky Conference Commissioner. A couple of guests on today's show. Uh, we have done the guests as scheduled, but I kind of, uh, I kind of smiled when Steve, when Stanford Steve, talked about, um, talked about the planning of the show and the rundown of the show. Steven, I'm sure you smiled as well when he said rundown of the show because the rundown of this show is different than most sports radio shows. It's not like we script. Every segment, And in fact, the show sheet that I sent out to the staff right before the show today just included the names and the phone numbers of the guests. Most of the segments open. Some benchmarks like Punch It Audio and the Big Splash. Um, the Five at Five designated where they're supposed to go in the show. They make sense. They generally stay it's pretty static to some extent, but I just let the show kind of go where it goes every day. And I, I don't cringe as much, I think, as other sports radio show hosts cringe when they get into the dead of summer because i got plenty to talk about always. And the show is so free-flowing that sometimes those summer day shows end up being the best shows. And I'm never struggling for material or guests, and I never book a guest just to fill a segment. I hate that. I hate when I, I can tell when other radio hosts do it. When I travel around, I listen to other shows. And I can tell when they book a guest just to book a guest. And I can tell when radio producers reach out to me and they want me to come on a show. I can tell sometimes that they're just trying to fill space. And I'm like, eh, I'm probably not going to do that interview. And I, You know, if I have something to talk about that I'm in the middle of, yes. If this topic is relevant, yes. But, Stephen... Like, on today's show, we were supposed to do Punch It Audio at 324, didn't happen. We were supposed to do the Big Splash at like 345, didn't happen. We we had Stanford Steve booked. He came on right where he was supposed to, uh, good on me. Tom still came on right where he was supposed to. I'm batting like 500 on the show today.
6: Well, and, and to give you credit, um, you didn't know exactly what time Tom still was going to come on? Uh, you know, it was it was up in the air and you figured it out right before the show. So you gave us a little, a little bit of a heads up for there. So I'll give you some more points for that. So you're, you're-
2: yeah, I did, huh? Because originally, Stanford Steve was booked for four. He wanted to come on at four. And then Tom Wistersill said, Can I come on at four? And I said, Sure. <laughs> and then I went right before the show, I went, We can't do that. That's not going to work. And so I went back to the Big Sky Commissioner and I said, Hey, you, you can do 324 or 424. Or even 524, because those segments are open, you know, have at it. And right before the show, he said, okay, 424. And I said, all right, we're going to go back to back with the guests. That's okay. I'll do that.
6: I mean, an, but, ou- an hour prep time for that, that's perfect. You know, we—you uh, know, yeah. n- no offense, John. I-, I don't expect to know anything right before you tell me <laughs> to do it. So <laughs> that's right. I'm always on my toes, though. But-
2: But my larger point is the show goes where it's supposed to go. Like, I don't have that problem. I've heard other people say this. I have other people even in the Portland market who have hosted radio shows or host shows who will tell me, oh, the summer sucks. Oh, it's so hard in the summer. I'm like, what are you talking about? The show just, it's the same. It goes where it's supposed to go. It's not that hard. Like, this this segment even. Like, nobody scripted what we were going to say. Nobody talked about it. It's just unfolding like life. Like, we're in line at a coffee shop having a conversation. Let's do it, you know? You don't have to make it overcomplicate it. Don't script out the show. Let's not overthink it. No, no, no. We have to be talking about the Oregon defense at 448 and why it doesn't have an identity. That's why these coaches complain to me. They're like, I get the same stupid questions everywhere I go. I, I don't want to do that interview. Stanford Steve, just got him on. Let's see where this goes. Tom Wisterstill, let's see where it goes. In fact, Punch It Audio, let's see where it goes.
9: I have to We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald
11: Fish Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe
7: and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of
4: sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling.
2: Let's start with the commissioner of the Mountain West Conference, Gloria Navarez. She was on 95.3 The Ticket in Boise, Idaho. Boise State country talking about exit fees are exit fees negotiable. The Mountain West has a $34 million exit fee. Here's the commissioner's standpoint or stance on exit fees.
8: Punch it. Certainly, that's the starting point. Um, That's what they're designed to do. It's not supposed to be an estoppel from keeping schools from ever leaving. But it's really to give us the requisite notice, but also some financial backing to either right-size negative impacts on our media agreements or backfill with new members. So really they're designed to protect the league um, should schools want to leave with appropriate notice. Um, But, you know, like any company, if there are exceptional circumstances, we we, want to be flexible enough to address those as well. That's
2: interesting. There's some wiggle room on the exit fees. Keep an eye on San Diego State, Boise State probably asking that question because – They're wondering, hey, do they fit somewhere else? Um, I think it's going to be an interesting time. Worcester still brought something up in that last interview that just jumped out at me. I don't know if this jumped out at you, but the Big Sky Conference Commissioner was talking. When I asked him about how difficult it is to put conferences together, if you're starting with four teams, like Oregon State, Washington State, Stanford, Cal, how hard is it to add teams? He talked about the timeline, the ticking clock, how fast the 2024 season comes, and he mentions, you know, Look, there's still a few months to play with, but the clock is ticking for each of the schools, and it's ticking in a different way because the Mountain West Conference, if you're going to join them in your Oregon State and Washington State, it's at some point going to want to know, are you coming in for 2024 or not? Keep an eye on that, the ticking clock and how tricky it potentially could get. But I reported today at johnconzano.com, Oliver Luck, Andrew Luck's father, sent three kids to Stanford, Another kid to Yale. He has served as an executive in the NCAA. He's been an exec, you know, in the NFL. He was a quarterback when he played in the NFL. AD of West Virginia. Big 12 had hired him as a consultant. SMU has hired him as a consultant. Well, guess what? The four remaining schools in the Pac 12 Conference have hired Oliver Luck as a consultant to help them with a rebuild of the conference. Is there something there? They've got a consultant slash possible commissioner working on their behalf i find that really interesting and uh, i'll be interested to see what happens now you want to hear some of what oliver luck talked about well here's oliver luck on a podcast with myself and john wilner talking about college athletes becoming employees i'm just going to give you a taste of Kind of what he's like and who he is as an administrator and consultant punch it you know i, I
11: if any if there's any you know cautionary tale coming out of the situation of colorado which i'm following a little bit i'm friends with rick george i live yeah. in the state of colorado uh so I'm, I'm following that it's that you know be careful what you wish for student-athletes You know, so you know, I don't know how many players went into the portal from you know from the Buffalo football team, and obviously they they had a pretty lousy season last year, and can certainly understand the desire to swap out uh, almost every player. But you know, as a as an employee, yeah, look what's happening around the country, right? Yeah, ESPN's laying off seven thousand employees, and you know, Facebook or Meta or whatever uh, they are, you know, twenty thousand, and you know, three M is laying off fifteen thousand, right? So if you're an employee, you're a cog in the system. The three of us in this call realize that uh, because we've all worked and I'm sure have all been you know, laid off at some, at some point. So I think, you know, student athletes have to be a little bit careful of what they wish for. I, I do believe that schools should really take a hard look in the NCAA, shape to, should take a hard look at some sort of revenue share.
2: All right, there. There's Oliver Luck. You get a kind of a taste of who he is. Really interesting to kind of see that uh, as it unfolds. Pete Thamel says Oregon State camp is buzzing about Aiden Childs. I'll play his comments coming up. Oregon State's quarterback, young quarterback Aiden Childs, wowing some people. Plus the outlook this season with Russell Wilson. Plus uh, also we'll talk. Uh, Potentially about Cal and Stanford to the ACC. Looks like they're going to fall short, but would, would they fit? How do they fit? Anna's coming up with the 5 at 5. All of that still ahead. I want you to leave it locked in here. Hour number three. It's always a wild ride. And I got to tell you, none of it's scripted. That's what makes it fun. Leave it here. You got the BFT. Anna's in the studio. She's back from her exclusive tour of Europe, Scandinavia, and the subcontinent. I just like saying that, because that's how they introduced the Blues Brothers when they were uh, released from prison, and they were touring and performing. How you doing? What's new? What's what happening? What do they
8: mean by subcontinent? I, I don't know what that actually means. Googling the sub subcontinent. Subcontinent. It, uh, it probably doesn't mean what it sounds like it means. It
2: is a large, distinguishable part of a continent, such <laughs> as... North America or Southern Africa. So it's not the continent, it's the subcontinent. But North America is a continent, right? Yeah.
8: Yeah. Like, I would think, like, subcontinent would be, like, you know, the Mexico part of the continent. Right?
2: I want you to be really calm right now. (laughs) When you came into the studio, (laughs) you allowed a yellow jacket to come into the studio It's not a yellow jacket. It's not a yellow jacket. It's flying around behind you. it's
8: a fly. That's a fly. That's not a yellow jacket. You brought
2: it in here with you, whatever it is. Yeah. But I'm not... Well, I'm
8: like Pigpen. It just circles around me. I I don't get freaked
2: out by insects like you do.
8: Uh Uh-huh, I know. When
2: there's a yellow jacket around, or a bee, you get really, like, you realize that's a tiny little insect. It's more afraid
8: of you. I know. Than you are of it. Childhood trauma, John. What it's happened? all about the Let's, let's unpack trauma.
2: this childhood trauma on today's episode. What
8: happened is that we own a motel along a set of railroad tracks in northeast Portland along Sandy Boulevard.
2: Can you open the door and let the insect out? It's asking to be How let out. How do you out.
8: know that it's going right. to... It's not Just, asking to this, be let I'll out. It's you, not knocking. I'll
2: tell you when it goes. Okay. okay. Just stand by. Okay. Stand by. <laughs> it's <laughs> All right. Anytime now it's going to go. Is, there it's, it goes. All really? Right. Yep, it really went? Yep. Close oh, the door, please. All right.
8: Oh no, it went back. Oh no, lit. You got it. Yeah, okay. I got it.
2: So what happened behind the motel?
8: <laughs> well, there was um just an area between <laughs> units seven and fifteen that were right alongside the railroad tracks. And my parents always told me not to play back there no matter what. You know, like that was a golden rule. Don't go back there to place. So of course. As a five-year-old, what did I do? Wandered back there.
2: You were five. Yeah, it wandering was like around between on between five and train seven. tracks. Yeah, yeah, that?
8: like a short distance Jeez. from train tracks. You know, it's pretty and crazy. Uh, yeah, resilience. And um, and lo and behold, the one time that I wandered back there with some of the other kids that were living in, at the motel, uh, I stepped on a yellow jacket hive, like full on, just oh. full into the yellow jacket hive, and was stung. Dozens and dozens of times all over my body, and had to go to the hospital. It was bad. It was bad. So
2: you haven't shaken that trauma? No,
8: I haven't.
2: Anytime you see a yellow jacket, see? I noticed yeah. you call it a wasp.
8: Yeah, I did not grow it is
2: No, but I didn't know. I didn't grow up calling it a wasp. It's not even
8: a sting. It's a bite. It bites you. Yeah,
2: but I did not grow it. I did not grow up calling it a wasp.
8: Did you call it a cougar or a mountain lion?
2: <laughs> we. I called it a mountain lion. And I called it a yellow jacket.
8: Mm-hmm.
2: A wasp was more of a uh, larger hornet like insect <laughs>
8: okay. in my
2: mind. It was a bigger, <laughs> bigger deal. Because you always say, it's a wasp. And yeah. I get, I get like technically, I think the technical definition of a wasp
6: uh-huh.
2: is. Um, it You know, it, it qualifies. The yellow jacket does qualify. Yeah, I'm looking Welcome at it to here.
6: To yellow yeah. jacket's generally between half an inch and .75 inches, while a wasp, longer range, up to one inch yeah. long, but more yeah. slender. Mm-hmm. A slender, more noticeably thinner waist. Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> the thinner Like the waist. wasp, when the wasp enters the room, the yellow jackets go,
6: damn it, she's here.
8: <laughs> <The> thinner <laughs> waist. <laughs> it really says thinner yeah. waist. It she's, does, yeah. They don't even have a waist. They have like a thorax. Well, how do you
2: tell when you're running and ducking under the table who has a waist? <laughs> not that's not only you... a
6: thinner waist, a noticeably thinner waist. Noticeably
8: <laughs> thinner waist. Yeah. I like someone to say Ooh. that about me. She's sometimes. a wasp. She has a noticeably. That's gonna be the near term. Ooh, I
2: saw her in the gym. She's <laughs> yeah. such a wasp.
8: She's not She not even used to be a yellow
6: it. jacket. Now she's
8: a wasp. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, <laughs> what did she do?
2: You know what else? I find the yellow jackets to be dumb.
8: Yeah, they're you not very—they're not smart. Yeah,
2: you know, the other day we had a barbecue. Remember, we had the, the barbecue. The cousins were all over. Yeah, at their table, for whatever reason, the yellow jackets were just super interested in something that was spilled on the table and whatnot. Yeah. And I picked a napkin up, and I just as they would land to whatever substance was poured on the table. Yeah, I would kill them. Yeah. I did it. I killed twelve of them. Yeah, with a with a napkin. Yeah, like you know, they have to be like if this is Game of Thrones, they're like he's king of the North over there with that napkin. But all I was doing was like there's a puddle of something. They keep coming to it, and I'm killing them.
8: There has to be a better way. I mean, it's summertime. We all theoretically enjoy the idea of eating outdoors and barbecuing. And there has to be a better way. Somebody out there must have a better solution. Yeah, I'm sure they the do. Whole yellow jacket wasp. Smoke thing. them out. But I don't and, know.
2: but those traps like you know we have a trap and it get, gets them. We
8: do, but they still come around. Welcome to the nature hour. on Oh, the bald first face world truth. problems.
2: I'm eating my steak outside <laughs> and the yellow jackets right. are bothering me. Right. Give me a break, lady.
8: <laughs> those full bodied yellow jackets. as yeah. Stephen. Has I'm, glad, out. I'm
2: glad. I'm glad. Oh, <laughs> those yellow jackets. They put on a little bit of weight. <sighs> they don't fit anymore in those their stripes. They're
8: body positive yellow jackets. <laughs>
2: Uh, so you got stung. Yeah. From now on, anytime there's any kind of insect around, it's just a big trauma in our family. Yep. Yep. All yep. right. And you know what happens? The person like you never gets bit or stung. I
8: know. It's the person sitting next. Innocent to the
2: bystander. Like me. Innocent yeah. bystander always gets it. All right. Let's do it. The five at five. Oh, Anna's yeah. back. Let's see if she can pull this off.
3: The five at
8: five.
2: The number one story.
8: Not in order of importance, but uh, I think it's kind of interesting. You tell me. Patrick Mahomes is going to start Sunday's preseason opener for his team versus the Saints. So I guess there's a theory, right, for uh, you know protecting your star players in games that don't matter as much. Hmm. And uh, Mahomes is saying... He's looking forward to it. He's Mm. looking forward to getting hit. He says, I always say that first hit, you want to get hit where it's not too hard, but you can feel it. Mm. You go through a long season of working through the pocket and knowing guys are rushing, but they can't touch you. So it's just different when you get in the game. You're unable to get tackled and everything like that. Is this wise?
2: Uh, I think playing him a little is wise. I think every quarterback knows what they need to be ready for the season. They know what they need or not. they don't need. And I think um, I think Patrick Mahomes is a competitor. And I think if he needs to get out there and get tackled and break a sweat and feel like he played and you know, that's what he needs to get ready for week one, great. I don't want to see him playing, like, extensive time in these games. I don't want to see him, like, playing three quarters or, full, you know, full games. But if they can get him in there early, play a series, a two series, a quarter, a half at most, and he feels good about it, yeah, I think it's okay. Okay. He's a competitor. Man, and, you know, I've talked about this. The Netflix series that features Mahomes along with Kirk Cousins and Marcus Mariota is fascinating. It and is. Mahomes comes off looking like he's the, the easiest guy to root for in America.
8: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, and he's a winner. And he's, a, he's just, he's playing, he's having fun, he's good. You know, I don't know if he, I don't know if his style of play necessarily is going to result... In a really long career, yeah. Because at some point he's going to lose a step, a half a step, and some of those throws that he makes that are you know off balance as he's parallel to the ground. I don't know if he's going to be able to do that, or he's going to get caught in a position where he's going to get hurt. But for now, he looks like he's having more fun than anybody.
8: He looks like he's like side arming, yeah, a football like totally. he would a baseball. Totally.
2: Number two story. What do you got?
8: I'm sticking with football for number two. Um, do you guys know what guardian caps are? They're like those things that look padded, the soft shell helmet covers. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, the league required all linemen, linebackers, and tight ends to wear guardian caps for part of training camp last year. Okay. And this year, the safety measures expanded to include running backs through all of preseason. And regular season contact practices and Practices. So, yes, practices. And now you've got an executive with the NFL hinting that those caps could be worn someday in games. I'm
2: okay with this. I'm okay with let's see how it goes. They're advancing it slowly, they're checking it out, seeing what's there. Um, you know, as we know from the NFL's denial of the fact that concussions were a thing from years ago. This is a league that's opened its mind very slowly to the idea that, hey, we're uh, we're putting these guys in position where they're having brain injuries. So if you can limit those micro hits that are happening in practices and scrimmages, preseason games, I think there's a benefit to the health of the players. Um, I haven't seen enough of the contact to know how it would change the game. I always felt like the easier thing would be just to remove the face masks and and they would stop hitting each other in the head because you don't want to get your grill caught by a helmet. But I know the colleges are using them too. Oregon and Oregon State are using these helmets as well to kind of limit some of the concussion uh, potential in practices. I think it's good. Number
8: three. Um, This caught my eye. I mean, we've seen the devastation that's happening in Maui with those crazy wildfires, like all of Lahaina's historic district has burned. It's so sad. Uh, Floyd Mayweather Jr. is lending a helping hand. He's paid for 68 families to fly from Maui to Honolulu in recent days. He's also set up hotel accommodations for them, food from local restaurants, clothing while people are away from home. Um, He hasn't provided official comment on this, but it's interesting that he's chipping in to help
2: out. I like that. You've seen a lot of athletes uh, who are stepping up, saying, uh, you know, they'll donate money for birdies that are made, and I think you're going to see more of this. I mean, some of that footage is just devastating to see the destruction of the fires. And I don't know where the death toll is, but the death toll moved pretty quickly from 3 to, like, 53 in a 24-hour period, and it was just alarming to me to think about, you know, everybody's... A lot of people are talking about, oh, it was so beautiful, and now it's burned to the ground, it's terrible. But I think... Rooted in that is these are people's homes, these are people's lives. People have died. It's really, uh, it's really sad stuff. And you know, I'm glad that you included it in the five at five. Number four.
8: Well, remember Iowa, Caitlin Clark? Yeah. So great player. I mean, this was so fun to watch them in that last tournament. Uh, They'll be hosting a scrimmage. Uh, Coming up on Sunday, October 15th. So circular calendars if you like this team. But the matchup, interestingly, this is women's basketball, uh, will occur at the football stadium. So they are going to see if they can try to fill the football stadium. That's like 70,000 seats. Uh, I love it. This is Kinnick Stadium. Can they fill the stadium with the excitement that they garnered from last season uh, with their NCAA
9: success.
2: Here's my answer.
9: I'm looking. Is Clark. She fires. And it goes! She hit it!
2: Wow! Screen, another screen, more McNeil trying to get around, runs into Sinai. Oh, and just look at that. Off balance going to the right. Doesn't matter if everyone knows whose hands it's supposed to be in. Magic happens when magic happens, and we've seen it a lot with Caitlin Park.
9: And a legendary career adds another page in the legend.
2: Look, I like it. You're going to play that game in a football stadium? Get Angel Reese at LSU to play in that game. You'll sell out. Love it. Number
8: 5 Playing to playing DePaul in that game. Okay, number five. It's the story that I kind of didn't want to talk about because it's so annoying to me. Okay. But it showed up enough places that I figured I better include it. Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg. Apparently, they're going to fight in the Colosseum. Ooh. Like the Colosseum. I love this. In Rome. Bring it. I don't know why. I find this so obnoxious, except that the proceeds it's a guy will benefit thing, it's a guy thing veterans it's for the veterans it's for the veterans do we really want to see these two fight everybody wants question. to see
2: these guys with their shirts off Re-
8: no no you want to see Nobody tech guys wants to with, their, with shirts their shirts off, off. we'll That's find out thing. who the
2: wasp is in this th- in this deal <laughs>
8: speaking of now,
2: the zuck the zuck is going to get him the zuck's going to crush him don't you think zuck's going to crush elon musk stephen
6: yeah, there's uh, there's videos of Zuckerberg out there training and stuff with his shirt off. I've seen it, Anna. He had his shirt off. I've seen it, and I uh, I liked it. I liked what I saw.
8: Yeah.
2: <laughs> Elon Musk. Please
8: pull that quote.
2: Yeah. Elon Musk. Look, Elon will try to find some angle, <laughs> but I think the Zuck is going to get him. I think there's it's. I think it's going to be ugly. I'll take Zuckerberg by knockout. He's
6: got a little feistiness to him.
8: I've
2: got Musk. Although Zuckerberg's got a giant head, you know what I mean, on that little body.
8: Musk grew up fighting, like he grew mm. up poor and fighting.
2: I got, I have that. Zuckerberg's been training. This isn't new. This is you years can train of training. You train all you want, man.
8: but that that training, training doesn't replace what are their the ages? fire inside of you. What are
2: their ages, Stephen? Get let's get the tail of
6: the tape.
8: Stephen doesn't know. 13. He was just admiring Zuckerberg's body. Yeah,
6: I just started googling Zuckerberg body and, and uh...
8: Hmm. Yeah. Uh,
6: all right. Let's see. Yeah. Zuckerberg, 39, thirty-nine years old. Musk, fifty-two.
8: Okay. But Musk is a lot bigger than him. Physically how, what,
2: bigger. Like, yeah, he appears bigger on Twitter. But how? Uh...
8: Zuck. So Zuckerberg is five-seven oh. and one fifty-five. Musk is six-two and one hundred and eighty-seven pounds.
2: and hmm. eh, 187 is a bit uh, wasp-like.
6: It's a little skinny.
2: Skinny jeans. Noticeably. They wear skinny jeans. It's <laughs> uh, let, safe to say both these guys are running around in the shower to get wet, okay? You know? It's yeah. safe to say. I just think I think the guy who figured out Facebook beats the guy who's ruining Twitter. You know? <laughs> That's it. Better than, less than? I don't know. Uh, Elon Musk against...
8: Maybe Phil He'll Mickelson will, will bet on the fight.
2: <laughs> the undercard. What should be the undercard? If Zuckerberg is fighting Musk, who do you want to see fight? What's the undercard?
8: What's an undercard?
2: The the boxing match <laughs> that takes place before the main event. Oh. Yeah. So okay. who's fighting also on the same evening, but kind of as the appetizer to the <laughs> see, event?
8: Who's go- Googling Google CEO? <laughs> How
2: about you put uh, one of the Kardashians in there? Yeah. How about uh, Oh a girl fight? Yeah, yeah, you need a woman
6: fight. Kleyovkov yeah. versus your mark.
2: <laughs> how about Larry Scott and Kliovkov settle yeah. for once and all <laughs> on the undercard. Do you want to win that fight or lose that fight? Loser leaves town.
3: <laughs> they who both try to want, lose.
8: Who would you want to see fight a Kardashian?
2: I think maybe uh one of uh how about Cardi B mm. against Kim.
8: Yeah, that could be interesting.
2: But isn't the Kardashian TV show pretty much them fighting all the time anyway? It
8: is, just verbally, verbally fighting.
2: It would be interesting.
8: Usually no punches thrown.
2: How about, uh, what is Bruce Jenner now? Caitlyn? Yeah. Caitlyn Jenner against, uh, Kim Kardashian.
8: Against his stepdaughter? Uh Uh-huh. Her stepdaughter? Just
2: for charity. Kids win. Yeah. Yeah. Is that okay? Is that bad form?
8: But he's a former Olympian. Ah, it's a she, Anna. I mean, she. She's a former she. Olympian.
2: Decathlete. I'm still
8: getting used to that. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm not meaning to like misidentify. I will take the them. the one
2: on the cover of the Wheaties box. <laughs> Always by default.
8: But it's still the same person.
2: Uh, I don't know. It's complicated.
8: Yeah.
2: Thank you. That's five things.
8: I, you're welcome.
2: Really good. That's was really it, good though? variety. I don't, I don't yeah. Well, we start with uh, an insect in the studio. Yeah. The potential for you to be diving under the studio tables and hiding. And we learned a little bit about your childhood, kind of settled that. And then we got into a whole bunch of other things. My favorite story, though, that you did was, uh, you know, the one about the helmets. And, yeah, really? And, yeah, because it, it was something I hadn't considered before. Because I've seen those. Everybody's seen pictures of the football players. They were in those. Yeah. Little it, bubbly helmet things. It looks
8: like a, a black igloo wrapped around a helmet. Yes. A foam igloo, you know?
2: And and it's one of those things where, like, I did this when we had young children, where I looked at a lot of the things that they sold at, you know, Babies R Us. Yeah. And I went, like, why didn't I invent that? You yeah. Know? Like the bib that had the little trough in it to catch everything that the kid drops. Yeah. Like some genius went, oh, we need to have the normal bib that you put on the baby's front have a trough in it to catch all that food so that it doesn't end up on the floor and you can refeed it to the kid.
8: Can I play devil's advocate though? Do you think that football players will hit harder if those helmets are implemented? Because it's kind of like, oh, well now we have the helmet so we're gonna hit even harder. We're just gonna go for it.
2: I, I don't think they they intentionally would hit harder. Most of those guys are just trying to hit as hard as they can always. Okay. A lot of them are, on yeah. defense especially. And yeah. when you get down there in the field, you understand that they, it is reckless. I mean, it is a yeah. little bit reckless, but they are in control of what they're trying to do. But there is a little bit of recklessness to sure. making a tackle, yeah. especially, a, you know, as a linebacker or, a, uh, you know, a strong safety in, in the NFL or whatnot. Yeah. But I, I kind of wonder if, you know, there's been this real emphasis. I think the bigger thing is that the way they have penalized the game and the way they penalize players for leading with the crown of their helmet has changed I think a little bit of how some of these guys tackle Mm -hmm. and I think it has created better habits and better tackling I don't I don't necessarily think they're gonna try to hit harder I just I wonder if I wonder if there'll be a stigma if it's an optional thing I wonder if there would be a stigma for the players who chose to wear it
8: well I think there's still issues around it regarding fit and the thing slipping a little bit you know and I thought about it from like the youth football perspective too like, is this something that high schools and younger are going yeah. to look at quite seriously? But you
2: know what they didn't have in, like, the old days of the leather helmets?
8: You said that face, like, the mask. Yeah, but part. they didn't I
2: have a that. lot of guys, you know, and I, I don't know if maybe they just didn't do the research, but it doesn't seem to me that they had a lot of players that were having brain injuries mm-hmm. until, like, the 1960s, 1970s, 1980s, 1990s, when, when face masks and helmets got better. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, there was um, everybody leading with their helmet. And, and I just kind of wonder what would happen. I would, just like, I would be really curious to see a game <laughs> if they took the face masks off. Yeah. Just everybody plays without a face mask today. Okay. And how people would tackle differently
8: yeah.
2: and hit differently. Because when you look at the old black and white grainy footage of like the leather helmet days, it was a lot of kind of arm grabbing and bear hugging. It wasn't like flying in a, like a missile, yeah, like Ronnie Lott and knocking somebody four yards back. Mm-hmm. It was more of, you know, kind of grabbing and tackling, yeah you know it, and you know, I just kind of wonder if you took the face mask off, it, how it would do change? Mean,
8: do you mean the face mask makes a difference from a physical standpoint or from like a mental standpoint because both. You're not seeing the person's face. No,
2: no. I, from a mental standpoint, of when I go to tackle you, yeah. I'm not putting my face in there because it's going to hurt me. I see. And it, from a physical standpoint, of when I tackle you, now I'm using more of my shoulder, my arm, whatnot. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't know. I would love to hear from coaches, like even if they did it in a practice. Yeah. You run a drill. You do a tackling drill. Everyone take their helmet off for the drill. Yeah. And let me just see how differently people tackle because i think good coaches will tell you they could teach a form tackle to somebody who's not wearing a helmet you know as they you know as you are teaching tackling like you know look i've only played community college football and high school football but i've been around the nfl and major college football and the tackling drills most of the coaches are teaching tackling in a great way you know they're not teaching leading with the crown of your helmet and the helmet but i actually i actually think like if you looked at it and you said okay we're going to do tackling today but Not have any face mask on. Mm
8: -hmm.
2: I actually think that it would really be an interesting study to see how players tackled without the face mask.
8: Meanwhile, Kirk Cousins didn't play um, on Thursday night, but he kept his entire, like, almost full uniform on, including wearing his fully strapped helmet while on the sideline.
2: He's ready, man. He's a gamer. (laughs) Look, he needs to win some more games.
8: Been a lot of memes about that he needs
2: to win some games you think so I think he's he got look I, I I got I have some love for him yeah he's a person of faith I like that I kind of liked him better after seeing the Netflix special but he needs to win some playoff games like he's not in the same league as a Patrick Mahomes and you know and I kind of look at him and I had a friend the other day who texted me after I said you know I, I Kirk Cousins raises stock in my eyes with the Netflix documentary and the person texted me and said He's a fraud, you know, he's like Derek Carr, same type of player, stat guy, but never really wins big, all mm. that. You know, there's some Jimmy Garoppolo in his game probably a little bit. But I think Kirk Cousins, important year for him. Now, because people are kind of noticing who he is. Yeah. They they know who he is now with his helmet off. Now he's wearing his helmet. So <laughs> now they kind of know who he is. I think it's a big year for Kirk Cousins.
8: It's like, I didn't realize he was the butt of so many jokes.
2: Why do you think that is, Stephen? Why, why do people like to make fun of Kirk Cousins?
6: Cause he's, uh, yeah. he, he's got the dad look, like in that first episode when his wife chose his outfit. It's just a funny outfit. He's easy to make fun of.
2: And he comes off the field. and is he kind
8: of ah uh, shucks? I
6: is think that...
2: he's kind of goober. He's dorky.
8: Yeah. And he's dorky. Yeah.
2: What okay. did he yell at the camera when he was coming off the field? And You like that? Yeah. It, <laughs> yeah, you like that? And then they made a big thing about it. Yeah. So I think, uh, yeah, dorky is a good word. He's tucking in his shirts. He's wearing a little bit of high waters. Mm
8: -hmm.
2: You know, he's not cool. He's not cool like me.
8: Like you. Yeah. Yeah.
2: All right, leave it here. We're going to talk about uh, Aiden Childs and the quarterback competition at Oregon State. That's still ahead on the Bald Face Tree. Well, I put a poll out on Twitter last night. I was thinking about this. As it pertains to the quarterbacks in the Pac-12 Conference. You get one Pac-12 quarterback to start for your team, one game, winner take all. One game, not a season. Who do you pick? And the options I gave were Cam Rising, Utah, Caleb Williams, USC, Bo Nix, Oregon, Michael Penix, Jr., Washington. Now, I only had four QBs in part because you can only do four options on Twitter. And uh, also, I had picked those four. Because, you know, Oregon State fan, I'm sorry, but J.J. Uingalele has not started a game yet in the Pac-12. I need to see more. But Cam Rising beat Caleb Williams twice last season, head-to-head. Bo Nix beat Cam Rising. Michael Penix Jr. beat Bo Nix. Who do you pick? Cam Rising got 22.6% of the vote. Michael Penix Jr. got 19.1% of the vote. Bo Nix got 24.3% of the vote, and Caleb Williams came in first at 34% of the vote. Steven, did they get it right?
6: Yeah, I think they did. I think Caleb Williams is the correct answer, and uh, you know, I will always go with the talent over everything, and he, he proved last year, I think, that he's the most talented quarterback in the league. I also would have concerns of injuries with Michael Penix Jr. and Bo Nix, as they both got hurt, and then Cam Rising as well. Like He's come off the injury. Caleb Williams hasn't had that serious injury yet, so I, I think that's the correct answer to go. Caleb Williams number one, but
2: Cam, but Cam beat him twice. Cam Rising beat him twice to Ed, Ed.
6: Yeah, but it wasn't, counts for nothing. It I mean, when USC's defense gives up forty plus points, I mean, what you know, you can't really do that much. I don't know. I I, just, I would rather take the talented quarterback over a leader every single day.
2: But Michael Penix Jr. had the best numbers of all of them, and he came in last.
6: Well, you I would I might put him third, I guess, over Bo Nix. Or second, I don't know. I I think Caleb but Bo Williams. Bo Nix right has answer. the best haircut of all four of them. He's the best he looking. Was... So no, I I think Caleb's number one for me. You think Bo <sighs> Nix
2: is better looking than Caleb Williams?
6: Hmm. Probably not.
2: Interesting. Probably not.
6: Actually, now that I think about it. I physically.
2: Physically, I saw all four of them in front of me at media day. Michael Penix Jr. is the tallest. He's the tallest. He looks the most like an NFL quarterback. Cam Rising looks the least like an NFL quarterback. He's, uh, you know, cameraizing with long hair. He's got a little bit, of, little, little bit of Lou Diamond Phillips to him, you know, as he's walking around media day. And, and Bo Nix looks the part, looks like a quarterback. And uh, I, I, I got to be honest with you, I don't want to like Caleb Williams, but I kind of do. Like, I Enjoy talking to him and sitting down with him. He's
6: uh, he's got some charm to his game. He came across very likable at Pac 12 BDN, I'll say that.
2: I hated it. <laughs> I, I want to hate the guy, but that question Heisman is, Trophy th- winner USC. Yeah, come on, no.
6: The question is great though because you can answer any way out of those four quarterbacks. Like, you're right, Cam Rising, he's probably shouldn't be number one, but at the same time, he's the winner of all of them. And you had Cam Ward say that he's the GOAT. Um, you know. You can't really go wrong with any of those quarterbacks, and I think that's what's going to be so fascinating about this conference is there's going to be a lot of good quarterbacks, a lot of good offenses, and there's going to, you know, it's going to be one of those years. It seems like another year where the Pac-12 cannibalizes itself and gets in the playoff. Like I really worry about that. But if I'm going one game, John, how could you not go Caleb Williams? I feel like he's got the threat of the run, the pass, everything. He's he's got the creativity. I think Caleb Williams is an easy one for me. Rising beat him twice.
2: That that X factor. Doesn't seem to count, but I understand what you're saying. I get it. Now let's talk about Oregon State's quarterbacks. Oregon State in camp, uh, Aiden Childs, DJ Uengalele, who everybody thinks is going to start. Uh, ben Gulbertson, who's 7-1 as a starter. Jonathan Smith's got a good problem on his hands. But here's Pete Thamel, ESPN, talking about Aiden Childs.
3: I will say this, uh, little camp nugget to drop, little little seed to plant maybe for later down the road. Uh you know, will DJ Uyunglele win the job and and roll out there against against San Jose State yes I, I would imagine that um camp buzz from the spring that is carried over now to the fall is that Aiden Childs the freshman quarterback they have uh, from Southern California is the real deal and I don't I'm not saying he's going to be the starting quarterback there this year but He's a guy who they're going to build around in the long term, and they have a ton of excitement about him. And that is a staff that knows quarterbacks and can develop uh, quarterbacks. So that said, I will say a, I will say a Hail Mary for continuity's sake that the recent developments and realignment don't scare him off.
2: Interesting comments from Pete Thamel. I'm going to unpack it in a way you will not hear unpacked anywhere else. I need to tell you this. Jonathan Smith's agent is Jimmy Sexton. He is one of the most powerful agents, coach agents, in college football. Maybe one of the most powerful people in college football. But Jimmy Sexton represents um, uh, Willie Taggart. He uh, represents Mario Cristobal. Um, he rep- I think he has Chip Kelly. And he's got Jonathan Smith, and he's a good agent. Really good at his job. Jimbo Fisher, when Jimbo Fisher went from Florida State to Texas A&M with that big deal, uh, Jimmy Sexton was driving it, and then what happened? Then Sexton took his other client from Oregon, Willie Taggart, and put him at Florida State. It's, you know, he gets paid. He gets paid. He does his job. He's got a lot of influence. Pete Thamel's agent is also Jimmy Sexton. Just a conspiracy theorist here. But I kind of wonder if that buzz that Pete Thamel's talking about, it gets its way to Pete Thamel because he shares an agent with Jonathan Smith. And I'm not saying Jonathan called Pete Thamel and told him, but I'm just saying in general, sometimes you talk, you talk to your agent, they, they're they talking to their other client, they're saying, hey, the, Aiden Childs, the buzz here is this, and this could this be Jimmy trying to uh, elevate his client uh, in the profile of Oregon State uh, with his other client? In Pete Thamel? I'm just throwing that out there. You know, it happens in the NBA all the time. The agents are working behind the scenes. But I, I, would, I would believe more of it as a conspiracy theorist if, Aiden, if I hadn't also heard that Aiden Childs is killing it. And, how, you know, every time we talk to somebody about Oregon State, they talk about the kid. They talk about Aiden Childs, how good he is, how talented he is, how the ball comes out of his hands. I, I just think it's really interesting to kind of hear the narrative unfold on the talented freshman quarterback at Oregon State. And 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 Thamel's got a good point about, hey, if the realignment unfolds as it is. Again, today, earlier today, Jayathi Murthy, the president at Oregon State, comes out, issues the statement, basically says that it's in the best interest of Oregon State to try to rebuild the Pac-4 conference. That's where the focus is in a rebuild. I think it's really interesting to kind of watch the potential there for Oregon State, you know, and I I wrote just earlier this week, I wrote a column about Aiden Childs. I talked to his dad, Adrian. I talked to his mother, Nikki. I wrote a column about, you know, where their minds are as it pertains to moving forward because Aiden Childs is the future of Oregon State football, clearly. And I don't think they want most of the players at Oregon State, I don't think they want to be in the Mountain West Conference. So there is a transfer portal element here to Jonathan Smith's program that is very important you have a university president saying we want to stay in the Pac-12 or Pac-4 Pac-6 whatever it's going to be and you have a young player who's probably not the starter this season from in week one but at some point you know may if things don't go right emerge as it's time to hand the kid the keys Now, he doesn't turn 18 years old until September 12th or 14th, somewhere in there. His mom told me, I can't remember. But I just think it's a really interesting sideshow that's going on in the background of everything else that we're talking about because if Oregon State goes to the Mountain West Conference, I do expect that some players on that roster are going to go, hey, I'm going to get in the portal. I want to play in a Power 5 conference. But if Oregon State can attempt to rebuild and sell the current roster on the idea that they're going to fight and they're going to claw and they're going to believe and try to belong to Power 5 conference football as a four-team, six-team, eight-team conference moving forward. It's kind of an interesting pitch to guys on your roster.
6: I got a couple questions, John, real quick. I think we assume DJ is going to be the starter week one. First off, how quick of a leash is it going to be on DJ with Aiden Childs and Ben Goldbranson? Is Johnson going to take him? You know, is he going to have you know the you know the uh, the balls basically to take him out and say you know what we got other quarterbacks that can play if it's a real quick leash? And then also with the conference realignment stuff, is there more pressure to play Aiden Childs this season to try to keep him happy at Oregon State?
2: I think in talking to his parents and for people who read the piece that I wrote, I mean, that was basically the thrust of it. I asked them, like, how patient can you be? And I have to be honest. His mother is an educational administrator. His dad is a middle school PE teacher and coach. And they've got, like, a really healthy perspective about when it's your time, it's your time. Don't be in such a hurry. Don't rush it. And a lot of parents and a lot of people will say the right thing. I actually believe them. When they say that it's so much sweeter his mom said this his dad said you know everybody's in a hurry everybody's running towards everything instead of letting it come to you and then his mom because I was talking to them together on a, on a joint phone call his mom says you know what it's I told my son it's so much sweeter when it unfolds as it should I just think it's such a healthy perspective that you know don't be in a hurry especially when you're 17 things will happen as they're supposed to happen when you're ready for them to happen and I just think it's a really healthy perspective. So I don't necessarily think there's a real push right now to get him on the field and burn his redshirt year. If DJ Uyunglele and Ben Goldbertson can handle it, I think Jonathan Smith would be happy unless there is a huge difference in talent. I think he would be happy to let the kid kind of let it happen as it should happen. But I wouldn't be surprised if in camp, Childs is making this a runaway knockout, I'm too good to – you can't keep me off the field conversation. Maybe it changes. But I don't know if it's at that point right now as the people I'm talking with say DJ looks really good, Aiden looks great, Golbrinson looks good. Like, I don't think there's enough separation right now for you to do that. But it, it, it may come. It, it could come in week 8, 9, 10. Whenever Childs is ready, Jonathan Smith's got to get him on the field. But I think the hope at Oregon State is – that DJ and Goulburnson are so good and so solid that that doesn't happen this year. But the complicating factor of, hey, what conference are we in long-term and will the kids stick around is interesting. He's a four-star recruit. I think people know he's talented, but they don't have a lot of tape on him. And I actually think if you put him on the field this year and he – let's say he put him on the field and he blows up, don't you think he's a bigger fright, flight risk then? Because now other programs have tape on him. They've seen him compete – He's shown he can do it at the college level. Because I think right now, based on the fact that he hasn't played a lot, nobody's really seen him play, like, at least there's a question right now. Like, is he ready? How far away is he? I don't know.
6: Yeah, it's just just the buzz right now, right? It's all the buzz is what we've heard. And it's not just Pete Thamel. It's not just you. Like, you can go across all the internet webs, and you can find things about A.M. Childs about how he is the next big deal. So I'm with you. Like, if he plays and he puts out a good performance, there's going to be teams that are in, you know, the SEC or – you know the Big Ten. Anybody they're going to come after and go. You know, with NIL, that's just what's going to happen. So I don't. Know, it's a it's a tricky situation because he is the future of Oregon State as long as he stays there. But you got to keep him there. That that's the real question. How do you do that?
2: Yeah, and I think you know my brother's a high school football coach in California. He came up and spent a week at Oregon State's practices, and this was in the spring. And I said to him after I said, "Who do you like at quarterback?" And he wasn't a huge fan of D.J. as a passer. But he said uh, Aiden Childs is going to be a star. And D- you know D.J. still had some work to be done, so I want to be fair to him. Like, you know, put the pads on, let Jonathan Smith and Brian Lindgren work with you for a while, maybe his passing improves. But it was Aiden Childs that he came back talking to me about after spending a week with Oregon State. I think that is really interesting. All right, leave it here. Coming up, more ahead, we'll talk about the conspiracy going on in Major League Baseball, plus uh, some final thoughts on what happens next with the Pac-12 and NFL preseason football in full swing. Friday. I couldn't even get out of my mouth. Friday. (laughs) We got a Friday and we got a hostage situation in Baltimore. Uh, Kevin Brown, broadcaster in Baltimore on uh, television there. Um, Stephen, can you pull up Kevin Brown's comments? It's... All over, I could probably pull it up, but you know, for people who don't know, in Baltimore uh, earlier this week or last week, really, this thing has been a saga. There is a situation where you've got a broad television broadcaster who made some comments that were pretty innocuous on air as part of the television broadcast who got suspended. Here it goes.
6: So he tweeted out, O's fans, I'm a storyteller and never want to be part of the story. No, 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 no. I want I want you to oh, you the, want original. The, origi- the original. The original. I thought you wanted his uh no, no, his no, apology.
2: No. no. Oh. It's original.
6: Hold okay, on let's re- I'll pull let's that. Let's
2: go. Up, go. I'm gonna back up. I'm gonna back up. Alright, back it okay. up. Here. Okay, so <laughs> I don't want you to read his oh, Twitter. Okay. I got it here. Hold on. I could read his Twitter. All
6: right, ready to say go. Here's okay. It. Kevin Brown <laughs> Kevin Brown against the Rays. Uh, commenting and what got this. him suspended. For the Orioles, Brandon Hyde has felt like
4: this has been maybe the toughest ballpark to play in, but the Orioles have a chance to do something special today. They've already clinched at least a split in the series, winning two of the first three, and they could pick up a series win behind Tyler Wells today. It's been a minute. The Orioles split a 2, two gamer with the Rays in June. They had lost their last series here at Tropicana Field you have to go back to when our now colleague Brad Brock picked up the win in the series finale June 25th 2017 the last time the Orioles won a series here at St. Pete already got three and two at the top this year after winning three of 18 the previous three years combined it is a stark difference Ben and it is not a bad race team It's not like all of a sudden the race uh, became slouches in the American League East. They've led this division every day, but now two, and the Orioles once again are back alone in first place.
2: Yeah, look, okay, so he said nothing there that should get him suspended. He told the truth. Yeah, he was suspended. Now he's come out, and now Steven's going (laughs) to read his Twitter where, uh, and can you read it in his voice? Where he he (laughs) basically. He basically comes out of nowhere after the Orioles are just taking massive heat. Fans are mad. He comes out of nowhere with this series of tweets that I almost want to greet with. Blink twice if you're being held hostage.
6: <laughs> Stephen will read in Kevin Brown's voice. O's fans, I'm a storyteller. I never want to be part of the story. The most compelling story of baseball right now is the story of the league-leading Baltimore Orioles, the best, most exciting young team in the American League. Unfortunately, recent media reports have mischaracterized my relationship with my adopted hometown Orioles. The fact is that I have a wonderful relationship with the organization, and our ownership and front office has fully supported me since 2019 when I first came aboard. I ask that everyone disregard the distracting noise of the past few days. I've worked closely with O's SVP Greg Bader for the past four years, and John Angelos and I have a solid dialogue based on mutual respect. We are all good here in Birdland. I am proud to be a Oriole and call Baltimore home. There's no place in baseball I'd rather be now. And for the long haul, go O's. Blink twice if they are holding
2: you hostage. Michael K. Uh, reacting uh, on his show to that uh, statement.
7: I don't blame Kevin for putting that out there because he didn't deny what happened. He said, you know, don't, don't listen to the noise. The noise is true. There's not a second that... Anybody who reported that or talked about it believes it wasn't true. He got yanked off the air because he read a stat that they thought was negative, and it was quite positive. So I'm not going to get mad at Kevin Brown for releasing that. I don't think he lied, but that was a classic case of, of putting lipstick on the pig of a situation. What's he supposed to say, uh, Peter? Do, do you think? But, but that, but that, that
11: statement was definitely either written in part by or encouraged by the of Orioles. Of course, correct? it's
7: like a hostage tape.
2: There it is. It is a hostage tape. I don't like it. Makes the Orioles look even worse in my mind. Steven, what do you think?
6: Yeah, uh, there's a lot of credit to the Baltimore Orioles staff in the in those comments as well. So yeah, it definitely seemed like one of those things that the Orioles, you know, put in front of him said, "Hey, you need to tweet this out, and then you'll be able to come back and be reinstated." And again, like Michael Kay said, if I'm Kevin Brown, I'm doing the same thing because you know he could get a job somewhere else, but right now there's none available, and that's the problem. Is when you get one of these jobs, you don't want to lose it. So I, I think it's one of the situations where he kind of, you know, he had to do this. He had to put it out there and try to make the Orioles look good. But I'm with you. It makes the Orioles look like they are uh, just in that in the th- thought. Of, they just can't be taken seriously right now. Like they can't be criticized. And that's, that's bad.
2: It's just a bad look. And you have ownership. you got a general manager situation, a president, a business operation situation. I mean, look, I, I said it when this originally went down. The Orioles are having a great season on the field. The fact that this is the story, this is the biggest Orioles story of the year. It has gotten more run nationally, and it has become the biggest story. Is an embarrassment for that organization. They should have just reinstated them and apologized. Have a great weekend, everybody. The bald-faced truth, not here for a long time, just a good time.